Bienvenue, Kenichiwa, Nihao, Jambo, Marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 224 on Sunday, the 20th of March. I'm Armish Phil. I'm Armish Ben. And I'm Armish Matt. The dwarf. Running Pickering! And the mother of madness. <laughs> Who the fuck's that? Yeah, me! And uh, we've got a special guest on the line, a fellow Englishman, an expat from over the pond, Mark Malone. How you doing, Mark? Good to be with you, chaps. Doing well. It's in the afternoon here, which is good. I don't do Sunday night streams anymore. I did a couple of those and sound like a crackhead on a come down. <laughs> so, I, um, so this is good. Good timing. What time is it there? It's about two o'clock. It's supposed to be, but I forgot our clocks went forward and yours haven't. Oh, so yeah. it's actually three. Yeah. So we're only five hours difference. Right. So you're in the future. You can mm. tell me what's going to happen with government tyranny next. That's why, that's why you're here, Mark. Educate us. Um, now then, uh, by way of introduction, maybe you should give us a bit of your background and what you're doing with America, 21stCentury.com, and how you got into this and how fucked we are and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, fucked short term, but optimistic long term. We can get into that. Like that. So, uh, yeah, a little about my background. So, um, study philosophy of science at Oxford. Um, Philosophy of science basically looks at the scientific methods, what underpins the disciplines that people look at. So in this case, you know, you have physics, biology, chemistry, et cetera. And of course, within those, you have tons of subcategories within biology, you have medicine. And then within medicine, you have ophthalmology or whatever. Um, so philosophy of science looks at the methods. So the the actual core of science. After all, science isn't a science isn't an institution it is a method but it isn't really a method it is actually a series of methods often those series of methods actually compete and this is really really important now like people like me and those that are more qualified than me those that are actual phds and stuff which i'm definitely not but there are guys in this discipline who could never have been more needed than the last two years and yet people pretend like this discipline doesn't exist there's a reason for that because they want people to believe that only one scientific method exists when actually there are several. And we can talk a bit about that as well. So that's what philosophy of science is. Uh, I've also worked in data science and behavior analysis and linguistic analysis in the corporate world and in academia. But I've also been a musician. I taught, in fact, I actually blew off university. I was supposed to go into physics, but I kind of just blew off university and toured in a band for like seven years. So, so I'm not in any way like an academic guy, uh, at the core. I just, uh, I understand that those skills are necessary for the work that I have to do. And that work at the moment is America 21, which is essentially to withdraw America from globalist treaties in particular, United Nations agenda 21, 2030, which is what the group reset actually is. 
and we can get into what those differentials are because it's actually really important. And a lot of people are fighting the Great Reset, which is important, but the Great Reset is a phantom. It's a little bit like fighting a think tank. It's a little bit like fighting an ideology. It's like, okay, we're going to fight communism. And it's like, great, but communism is an intangible thing. So really what you would want to do if you wanted to fight communism is you would say, I'm going to put certain political blocks on people being able to steal half my wealth, for example. That's tangibly fighting communism, not just like I'm going to fight the ideology. The Great Reset is very similar. We have, to be, we have to be very, very pragmatic about this. We can't fight the Great Reset as an idea. Um, the political implementation is actually through United Nations Agenda 2030. That is actually what we should be fighting. And that's real, and that is implemented in your city. Wow. That was something I wanted to ask you about, um, our mate Klaus, Klaus Schwab, because I hear differing opinions about his role, and I wanted to get your take on him. Is he this sort of global tyrant that people make out, or is he an ineffectual wannabe, a front man, a, a nothing guy? Yeah, uh, it's... It- so there's a hierarchy. It's it's both. He's he's a front man for people far more powerful than him, but he certainly has more power than a lot of people you will see at the front. So I, the hierarchy could loosely go like this. You could imagine your prime minister or president, and then above that you would have your chief medical person, maybe like a Fauci. Fauci would be in this instance more powerful than Biden. But then above him you have Bill Gates. And then above him you would have Klaus Schwab, and then above Klaus Schwab, you would have David Rockefeller. And then above David Rockefeller, you would have perhaps Evelyn Rothschild or something. So there's a hierarchy. Uh, and in this hierarchy, depending on where you are, there, there, there's more power, of course, as you gravitate up. But uh, old Klaus certainly has enough clout to, to do a lot of damage. That's for sure. Because the World Economic Forum is essentially um, all of the world's tech entrepreneurs, all the world, basically just all the rich people in one spot negotiating with each other, how they're going to transform the world. So it's just like, you know, you have a group get together. Well, he is the chairman of that group get together. And most of them, many of them look up to him. So if he's going to say, we're going towards this direction, in this case, the fourth industrial revolution, transhumanism, many of them are going to follow. And many of these people run Microsoft and run Facebook and Google and uh, BlackRock and Vanguard as well. So we are. So yes, he has a lot of clout. But at the end of the day, you know, he was trained. His mentor was Henry Kissinger, and Henry Kissinger was David Rockefeller. So there's always the same hierarchy in place. It's always Rockefeller will show up no matter where you look when it comes to this agenda. I guess what a lot of people don't realize is that with someone like Klaus. It's not that he has direct power, like a politician, someone who's, who writes laws, but he has power in the way he can influence the agenda and the path forward and the vision, if you like. And that's where he's, he's more influential than powerful, right. been probably more accurate, would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And, I, and um, that's an interesting point. I used to be very libertarian. I used to be sort of like, look, if we can just... I want government reduced to, to basically nothing, so they just don't interfere with our lives. And as I have um, matured in my thinking on this and looked at how this global operation actually works, I realized that that's actually um, quite dangerous. And the reason is, is because as we shrink our national sovereignty and our national um, institutions, what happens is these people like Klaus Schwab and the corporate oligarchs, they come in and they assume the vacuum of the space. So then what we think we're doing is we go, okay, government bad, which which it is. I mean, that's inarguable. 
But then what happens is they just assume the vacuum and someone is always going to take the vacuum of power. So then our job is to think who is going to be the best person because Mexico is a great example of this. People say, well, the government doesn't have much power. No, the cartels assume the vacuum of power that the government doesn't have. Someone is always going to take the vacuum. And what has happened in Western society, we rightly pushed for individual liberty, which was good. But in that process, these corporate oligarchs and the likes of Ashfab and uh, all of the other mentions, they come in and they take the influence then. And that influence, so for example, in this case, Google censors more than the government's censor. Well, that's an example of the nation states, the institution not putting the correct block on an outside influence coming in and assuming that power. Now, of course, they work in tandem, they work together. But uh, the difference is, is we do have some influence in the national institution, whether that that's Westminster or DC or whatever, you have no influence at all in the corporate institution. So we really, and we have to just, I guess, play it smart and think pragmatically, where's our best bet going to be? Uh, and the, where, where our best bet is going to be is we have to take back the institutions we do have uh, franchise in. And in this case, that is national institutions. It's a conundrum that, isn't it? The, um, the mix between government and, and private entities, because uh, you can see, I mean, the, the, the cartels, it sounds like an extreme example that you would have, because we think of, um, in our pampered Western lives, we think as the state as having the monopoly on violence. But um, that wouldn't necessarily be the case, you know, if we did shrink the state that down, uh, down that much, would these big corporate entities, you know, if there's no state oversight, preventing Google, for example, for example, for creating its own army, then why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Because I I guess I'm from, I'm from a similar sort of mindset where I've had the same sort of quandary and I was very, I don't know if extreme libertarian is the right, is probably the right phrase, but the same sort of um, thinking that, you know, I just want, I just want to be left alone. I just mm-hmm. don't want to hear from the government at all. Stay out of my life. But you, you do come to a point where you realise they are necessary for certain things and there is a certain balance of power that is required. And I think you gain more insight from this from reading history as well because you do see through different periods of history where extremes in the social fabric, if you like, or the social contract have, have emerged and it never tends right. to end very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and this is, yeah, it's so, you know, it's not an either or, right? Like we can have, we can have national institutions, let's just say for argument's sake that there is a government in this case. Um, but it doesn't have to be the incarnation that it is now. And likewise, it doesn't have to be the extreme incarnation in either direction. Uh, it just needs to be something that we actually have a stake in. And of course, the problem is, is that we, we really do not have a stake in corporate oligarchy. We do not have a stake in the World Economic Forum or the World Health Organization or, or even the United Nations and the European Union and any of these supranational organizations. Of course, is why the United Kingdom left the European Union. Was the, I voted for that because despite the fact that I understand that that was not a solution to many of Britain's problems, um, I'm always going to want to secede from supranational power in any form. World Health Organization, whatever. The whole idea is we already have governing bodies at the nation level uh, to to look like the FDA or the NHS to to do quality control. You don't need 
I do, we don't need someone above them doing the quality control as well. This is where things have gotten really messy. So I don't think it has to be an either or, but I think as it comes to this great reset problem, the problem that we have now of, of 2030 being the timeline for a total transformation of society, our issue is time, which we don't have much of, especially with the fact that this is expediting all of the time and the cause and effect issue of the last two years is going to transform things so much more economically and everything else. And we can talk about that. So then with the little time we have and the little influence that you have, you really only have a couple of choices, which is either uh, leverage the stake you do have, which is your city government, your count, your MP. And there are, there are ways that we can do this to fight the new world order. And we can talk about that. There's a very real way you can use this, but if you don't use that, the only other option is to get everyone to boycott all of these corporations, which is um, very, very difficult to do, or a revolution. And the problem with revolutions, of course, is like you said, they can turn out much worse. Bolshevik revolution was far worse than the Russia that came before it. And French revolution, I would argue, actually the same problem. So what do we do? Well, some people are suggesting a parallel system, aren't they? something mm-hmm. I've been hearing online in that um, that is another option is to just opt out and to try and set up your own networks, be self-sufficient if you can, and try and instigate some sort of parallel system. But obviously there are drawbacks. Who is the guy um, we talked to who was the... Uh, Nigel. Nigel. Nigel Howitt. Yeah. He was going down that line, wasn't he? He's he was trying his best. Yeah, he was he? self-sufficient on his land. He was. He had an exit strategy for when things yeah. really kicked off. To he, he wouldn't tell us which country it was. <laughs> no, I, thought, I, I, I said Mexico, and he smiled. So I think it might be Mexico. But yeah, what do you think about a parallel setting up parallel systems and networks to uh, help us? Is that a goer or not? Yeah, I know. I totally support that. I don't think that that's the. I, I don't think that that should be the only thing we do. So uh, I, I support any good moves towards pushing people into self sufficiency and sovereignty. The parallel system idea is is actually in line with what we're doing. Um, what we're doing though is just an institutional, I guess, a, a meta level view on that same move. So yes, I support that. Self sufficiency is important as well as just. So, pulling some of the power from these corporate oligarchs trade, you know, get milk from your local farmer. I do this. I buy half a cow um, from the local farmer and that's my beef for for the whole year. So I go down, get half cow, throw it in the freezer. That's it. I have my beef from someone local. Therefore, if I get, you know, banned from the supermarket, well, I can just eat beef every day. I'm totally fine. So I, I do support that. I do support growing food if you can, all of those things. Yeah. But we also have to think about, where does that take us in the long run? Let's say there's only 5% of us that do that. I have children. I have three children. Um, and I want them to have a society the way that we had grown up. I want them to have, you know, I want them to be able to go out for a pint rather than having to, you know, brew it for three years in the back garden and then <laughs> drink it in the garden. I'd like them to actually experience society and have even just half the freedom we had growing up. So, then I think, well, and then people might say, well, that's impossible, but it is, it isn't. If we think about social dynamics, most people follow based on incentives. So if we think about political incentives and the stuff that we're fighting politically, people think, oh, well, most are just never going to go along with it. No, actually that's the total opposite of the truth. Most just go along with anything, whatever the thing is, they're just going to go along with it. Whether it is climate change, whether it is the end of 
climate change, whether it is COVID, whether it's the end of COVID, they're just going to go along. That's the social dynamic. Most people are just going to head where the power takes them. So then our choice is to go, are you going to let immoral power take them or are you going to let moral power take them? Because again, the vacuum, someone is going to take them. Someone is going to funnel them in a direction and you have the choice of us doing it or you have the choice of the satanic elite doing it, but someone is going to do it. So my proposition is most of them are going to follow us, which they will, once we just start making enough progress for them to see the proof of concept, right? Once they start seeing, okay, so we can get into some specific examples about this of what we're doing, but let's just take one example. Okay. We've removed some of this United Nations globalist treaty out. Now we can produce our own oil again and produce our own energy. The bills are much cheaper. Your fuel is much cheaper. The economy in the state that we've done that in is much better. Of course, they're going to follow us through the rest of the journey as we continue to withdraw from globalism. Well, you just take that out to Western civilization as a whole, take what we're doing in Montana and widen it out to the entire society. People will follow you, of course, because they just follow the institutions of power. And it's our job then to make sure that we take it back and put it in a moral direction. Otherwise, what happens is the parallel system we have will be all our children have of their society left. And, you know, if we think about our ancestors who went through hell, to build the things that we have. Just think about like England's a great example of this. You have pubs that are 1200 years old. You have cathedrals that are like 1500 years old. You have all this beautiful history. Do you really want to give that to them? Like that's not theirs to take. So we have a choice. Take back the institution and people will follow. They'll follow any direction uh, or, or give it back or, or let them take it and all there goes 2000 years of history, you know? So um, we can do this. I, I'm working on the formula right now, which we can talk about if you want. Can you explain why they want our pubs? I'm a little naive. <laughs> they actually do, funny enough, uh, but it's not so much, unfortunately, they don't want the pub. They just want to destroy our culture. The, the whole point is just to destroy Western civilization's culture. So they, uh, they first, they started with the church. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not. It's not about that. It's a foundation of Western civilization, whether you like it or not. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't like drinking, but the pub is still a foundation of especially the Anglo uh, aspect or the Celtic Anglo aspect. So there are these institutions, the cathedrals, there are these monuments, there are these historical relics that are deeply ingrained as who we are. They don't really care what the thing is, whether it is a cathedral or a pub or um whatever pick your pick your thing they just want the thing removed so they can start afresh right you can see this in the communist uprisings are the best example of this throughout history mao in the great leap forward wiped all chinese history and they have a very rich history too they have thousands of years of very rich history that was totally wiped now i have a friend in china who's um very influential powerful businessman he's worth about half a billion dollars and he doesn't he says they don't know anything about Chinese history. People in the West know more about Chinese history than people in China because Mao wiped it all when he came in. That's what they're doing to us. So the relic itself isn't really what's important. It's just an erosion of the culture so they can start afresh, a reset, right? So then our job is, again, like the people follow the incentives. You set up the incentives in a certain way, people will follow it. This is how the whole COVID thing, the whole conspiracy works from day one. There are very few people involved in the actual conspiracy. You just set up the boundary conditions. Like let's say you set up the conditions. This is the Overton window. These are the parameters. 
and then people will follow the incentives those parameters set up. You don't have, you don't need a conspiracy. The example, COVID, eleven thousand dollars if you die with pneumonia on a ventilator, thirty nine thousand dollars if you die with COVID pneumonia on a ventilator. So. No doctor or nurse needed to be in on what COVID-19 was really about. All they needed to do was set up the parameters and the incentives will drive people in the correct direction. So really you have 0.00001% of people actually doing a conspiracy. Everyone else is following incentives and that, and that's those parameters, but we can use that to our advantage too. And Montana is showing that where we're, where we're doing political work. They just rejected the oil ban on Joe Biden's green nonsense well now <laughs> now they're going to be producing their own oil and they're not going to experience the the crisis everyone else is experiencing and then what happens is rather than people then going in the power direction that way they go in the other way and they go in our way and then we start to get more sovereignty and more self-sufficiency so this sort of people following isn't a bad thing if you have the correct people leading it's just a bad thing because they're following the incorrect people right now I think you have an advantage in the states because of the way that powers are separated and states' rights and stuff, which we are lacking in the UK. And my concern is that most of the people at the top who actually run the UK are, are captured anyway. Right, and, right. Uh, well, I, you know, it's the same in America. Yeah. But isn't that more level. of a local, you know, your, your state governor is, is answerable to the peop- the population of that state. Is it not easier to get things done and get things rolling? And then one state can see, like with marijuana legalisation, you know, one state will try it, they'll say, oh, okay, now we're taking in so many extra million of tax revenue, maybe we should try that. And it can straight, spread like a virus <laughs> across the country, you know. Whereas we don't, yeah. we don't have that. Our country is run by London. It's London-centric. We talk about the London bubble all the mm. time. And, you know, they, they, they make fine words about what they're going to do with the North, don't they? Those filthy fuckers up here. Northern but, powerhouse. Yeah, but nothing ever materialises. Yeah, well, yeah, it is definitely, the constitutional system definitely makes it a little bit easier because it essentially, outside of the Bill of Rights, outside of the Constitution itself, which is, you know, right to free speech, right to self-defence, so bear arms, etc. Outside of those core things, the states can do whatever they want. So, so the national government's purpose was supposed to just be to protect those core fundamental rights. Everything outside of that, the states are supposed to be able to go whichever way they want. Like marijuana doesn't interfere with the Bill of Rights. So therefore, if you want to do it, go ahead. If you don't, don't. Right? And that's supposed to be the system. So in that perspective, yeah, it definitely helps. But like the United Kingdom, like everywhere, America has, of course, become increasingly centralized as each year has gone on. So this sort of state sovereignty thing has really only seen a real comeback in the last couple of years, since COVID, really. That is the benefit to, and again, that's why there is a benefit to where this situation is going, because it is forcing people to become more sovereign at both the individual and the state level. So in this case, governors and their people just rejecting the World Health Organization or the CDC's guidelines. And just and like I said, I'm in South Dakota, never had a lockdown, never had a COVID mandate of any kind, pretty much the only place in the world that never did. And every, nothing has ever happened here because the people were just like, no, I'm not doing that. So the governor was like, all right, that's it. Can't get people to do it, so we're just not going to do any lockdowns. Um, so, yeah, it is easier here, but the, the reality is is that it's, again, the city the city government level that you guys have, that really exists in all Anglosphere nations is much the same. 
And what I mean is that the United Nations Agenda 2030 attacks the city level. So they have a treaty, which is to radically transform the world by 2030 for, quote, climate change. And then that is actually signed at your city level, your city government and your mayor and your sometimes MP, but mostly the city government and the mayor will sign that into law. So then what will essentially happen by 2030 globally is the cities will become kind of like city states of the global empire, of global governance. So you can imagine like Birmingham, where I'm from originally, or Manchester or whatever, these will be essentially city-states of global governance, um, which is actually what the Roman Empire did. The Roman Empire was a city-state empire across Europe. It wasn't uh, conquering nations as such. It set city-states up to be subjugated to Rome. Mm -hmm. So it's a very similar system to that. So in this case, Los Angeles would be a city-state. It's called SoCal, and that would be under the United Nations jurisdiction. So it kind of this whole global governance plan basically bypasses the nation states and goes straight to your kind of county level. The bad news with that, of course, it means is it destroys the cohesion of the nation, which is goes back to what we were just saying about the removal of all these traditions. That's what it's all about. To It's purposefully to remove the cohesion. But the good news about that is you can actually do something about that because if you can cut this at the city level, your county level, you've freed yourself from the New World Order. You're, you won't actually be absorbed in. So even if the next city is, yours won't be. And then you still have control over the affairs of your city without having to withdraw into the forest. But you can always have the forest as a backup. Set it up just to be sure. But why not just obviously remove it from the city? So that's what we're doing here. That's the process we're taking. And we're actually starting with banning the social credit system, ESG. I don't know if you guys have heard of ESG before. That's uh, yeah, I've got like governance. four things written down here, and the second one is ESG. So, yeah, good. Explain ESG to us uh, for whoever's not familiar. Yeah, so um, basically my organization's project is beginning with that. We have like a list. It might be the four things you have. We have a list of things that we're uh, going after, That the primary, primary one being sustainable development, but it's also carbon neutral. It's also public-private partnerships and it's ESG. These are like the four tenets of the Great Reset of the New World Order. Now, the reason we're going for ESG first is because that is um, partly because it's it's very urgent, but also it's an easier thing for us to ban. So we're going to ban it in Montana at the state level, and then we're going to take that bill and we're going to replicate it across the country, and hopefully we can export it and replicate it across the world, um, the rest of the Anglosphere in particular. So ESG, environmental social governance, basically works as you have the World Economic Forum passes this term on, which is actually comes from the United Nations Agenda 21 and 2030. Environmental social governance basically means that the economics, business, the private sector, and the government sector will work to these three tenets. So environmental being the obvious. If a company uh, isn't environmentally friendly, isn't sourcing their products environmentally friendly, um, they will get penalized for that. Social being, if you don't oh, have enough, oh, oh, that sounds good though. That sounds good. What's yeah. wrong with, with penalizing companies that um, you know uh, dump toxic waste into rivers? Because this is part of the problem: is that on the face of it, most of these things sound like a great idea. Right. Well, you have to play out breach. Yeah, <laughs> breach. You have to play out what you know. You have to explain why. How can this be misused? I guess. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that if it was just toxic waste, of course, that would be fantastic. We'd all support that. And the unfortunate thing is that isn't 
uh, really what it's about. So environmental, if we really go through what that really means, we go back to sustainable development. It essentially means anything that produces carbon dioxide. Oh, like okay, us, because so, we produce carbon dioxide. Humans, Whoops. you produce it, right? Yeah. But farming, cars, manufacturing, anything a nation needs to be sovereign, you need to produce your own shit. You need to produce your own food. You need to use your own energy. So food, manufacturing, energy. Those are the three things that produce most carbon dioxide that you need to use every day. So then suddenly now your goes back to that sovereignty issue. Your Everything you now produce in your nation to get by to be sovereign is going to be decimated because it's not environmentally friendly because it doesn't meet the criteria of carbon dioxide. If it was just toxic waste, that would be fantastic. So then what, we're ha- what ends up happening, of course, is... Um, Certain companies will get rated up. Some will get rated down. Even though the ones that get rated down are actually essential for survival, and the ones that get rated up are mostly just garbage you don't need. So that's one aspect. But there is a deeper investment thing, which we'll get to in a second. Social is like LGBT or Black Lives Matter or or whatever. So if you don't have enough gay people working at your company or enough black people or whatever, you you lose marks for that. And then the final one being governance is the most pernicious of all because that is actually what global governance is. Again, goes back to not government, but governance. Governance undercuts government. So then the new world order system is, is nothing to do with government. It's governance, and that's why ESG is environmental social governance. It undercuts government completely. <sighs> that's such an important distinction, because government is people. You know, there are people right. who, you, who, you can gra- who you can ring by the neck. Governance right. is, is like going back to the um, philosophy of science. Governance is a method. It's mm-hmm. an action. It's not right. a, a man or a woman that you can kick out. It's a process. This is such very a massive important. distinction. Very important thing you just said there, actually. That's that's very important. That it is a, it, Governance is just a, a thing that's happening. It isn't an institution, which means that anyone can be governing you. Could be a cartel. Could be Klaus Schwab. Could be BlackRock. Could be all three. Could be could me. Be <laughs> it could be you. <laughs> I think you probably have more chance of getting voted in than uh, them giving you a seat at the table. But you know, um, and I mean that with love because they don't give any of us a seat at the table. So, environment, yeah, environmental social governance. So that's that's the thing. But so if we go though to how that practically works, this is how it practically works. BlackRock and Vanguard, of course, the two biggest sort of asset investment firms in the world that have a shared GDP, I think, of around $25 trillion, probably closer to $30 trillion, which is like the European Union plus like all the Anglosphere minus America's GDP. So talking insane levels of wealth. Whoa, hang on, hang on. Just repeat that. The combined so, wealth of BlackRock and Vanguard is equivalent to? Would be the GDP of the European Union and the Anglosphere minus America. So Canada, Australia, UK etc and the european union so that's pretty much how that's roughly how much money those two companies have right so now if we if if we think about the assets they manage too most of their shareholders of course are are shareholders in many of the other big organizations many of the other big corporations so then they have all this sort of uh, proxy power that isn't even necessarily directly linked to their assets that they technically hold now why this is important is because blackrock are one of the spearheads of esg so what this basically means is if you want investment, let's say you, you run a business in a major city, could be London, could be Chicago, doesn't matter. Well, they're going to base you on sustainability points. They're going to base you on your uh, 
socially liberal points. They're going to base you on all sorts of points that have nothing to do with whether your business is good or not, or whether it provides the service that people need or not. It's going to be based on all these metrics that they have got from the World Economic Forum, which comes from United Nations Agenda 21, which comes from the Rockefeller Foundation. And that's the hierarchy. So that's how this whole conspiracy works from top to bottom. Now, what we're going to begin doing is uh, we're going to start by banning ESG and making that illegal in the state of Montana. And once we've done that, BlackRock and Vanguard will be sapped of much of the power that they use to control the investment. So that, therefore, they can't penalize a farmer or a manufacturing company or someone that does a, world, a job that we actually need. The most important one for our times being energy, being oil. Uh, so now if we can export that across the country, which we will be able to probably at least across all the red states. So let's say we have half of America. We can export that then to Canada and Australia and England. Um, we suddenly now have taken a huge beating to them just by banning the social credit system itself, because ESG is the beginning of the social credit system, right? Because after the, the level we're talking about now, which is business and the private public sector, it will come down to you at the individual level. You will then be, uh, you'll be uh, judged by the same metric that the businesses are now being judged. How many, what's your social group like? What's your behavior like? What, what are your interests? So, that's what the, the social credit system is. It would be based on the same, essentially the same system, which is sustainability. And that's why the, they were always going to go to climate change in the end. COVID-19 is, um, I do believe they will have a pandemic too. Bill Gates said so, but the sustainability is always going to be the final thing for them. It's always the main end game because viruses and wars still limit how much you can control someone at an individual level. You can control society as much, but not an individual. Where sustainability, there's no limit. They can control how much water you consume, how many times you flush the toilet, how many times you've taken a shower, who you communicate with, where you drive, if you even have a car, if you travel, if you're allowed to travel, what type of food you eat, what type of content you consume, anything. Because sustainability, everything produces carbon, including you. So that's why, in the end, climate change is always going to be what they go to. And it's always going to be sustainability that the social credit system is. So... If we can ban ESG, we might be able to stop the social credit system entirely because there's really nowhere to, for them to go past that point. Uh, so it's really exciting times. Um, and I have a state senator, several congressmen, three city governments, and a few legislators on my side already in just eight months. There was a report from a think tank came out, I don't know if it was today or yesterday in the UK, suggesting no car Sundays. <laughs> which is something that the Dutch yeah. implemented in the 70s on the short term for maybe six months. Uh, but this is seriously being discussed now for the UK. Well, shops used to be closed, didn't they, on Sundays? If they closed them again, there'd be less people driving to Aldi, wouldn't there? How are we going to do the podcast? Are you going to walk it from your house? I'll zoom in. <laughs> you can't yeah, let these crazy. things uh, take hold, yeah. unfortunately. Did you go on a Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know... Go to your local town square and say, I'm not putting up with this shit. It all seems yeah. like a, a massive effort just to get rid of some pubs. I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pubs are an important part of culture, especially in England. Yeah. Yeah. People will fight for their pubs, for sure. Um, no, unfortunately, not as much as they should have over the last couple of years. Well, you know, the cars, it's all about autonomy. A car is, this is why the Soviet Union largely didn't like 
automobiles anyway, even though they produced a lot. Because it's like there's nothing that kind of screams autonomy more than the car. Like I'm just going to get in and I'm just going to go wherever I want to go. I don't have to rely on someone else's time, someone else's uh, destination. So there is, of course, it isn't really anything to do with carbon dioxide. None of this is the climate's changing naturally. It has nothing to do with carbon dioxide. Um, it is changing. It just is nothing to do with carbon dioxide is the, is the point. So um, cars, though, are, it's all about autonomy. They just don't want you to be able to travel. They just don't want you to be able to have the control of going where you want to go. And that's ultimately what the whole thing is always about. All of it is about that, really. Um, so definitely fight for the cars. That's a very important one. And the easiest way to do that, because the car removal is Agenda 2030. So the only way really to to save the cars in Britain is to to gut out 2030, which begins at your city council. And something that I've been seeing more and more in uh, local, well, national press and local press is the concept of 15-minute cities, which plays into this, and that we'll all give up our cars and uh, the cities of the future will be constructed in a way that all your amenities will be in 15 minutes walk or 15 minutes of public transport, which, you know, you can use at, you know, whoever runs the public transport's leisure, if they determine you're fit to travel. And you that's can... another thing that sounds delightful. <laughs> yeah, well, the, 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 the design of the cities, this goes back to Agenda 21, which was 1992. And Agenda 2030 was 2015. I probably should explain this at the beginning, but just as a quick uh, summary, Agenda 21 is the 21st century agenda, and Agenda 2030 is the milestone that they want to achieve most of that, which is 2030. So they're not separate. 2030 is, uh, 20, 21 is long-term, and 2030 is here's when we want to have most of this achieved, and they've kind of got a subcategory of goals. I thought they were so, just late, because I'd heard of um, you know Agenda 21 and then Agenda 2030. I thought they just pushed it back, and I thought, ah, oh, these guys are just going to push no. it back even more. Agenda 30, yeah. 60. Well, I, I, do, I hear this a lot, because a, a lot of guys in the movement, uh, if we can call it a movement, I suppose, um, a lot of guys will say, oh, they, they do fail, because they failed with 21, they had to push to 2030. I'm like, no, no, they didn't. 21 is the 21st century. They didn't fail at all. Um 2030 is just a milestone, so they want to achieve most of that by. But the real end of 21 is 2050. That's when the 21st century plan is supposed to end. So what we're supposed to see by 2030 is the the obviously the transformation of society, which we're already far along in just in two years. Mm -hmm. But by 2050, you're supposed to see the end of nations, the end of civilization. It would be completely nothing like it's ever been. No nations, nothing. Demolition but by 2030... Well, you know, it's funny enough, though, on this one, the, the, the 21 stuff talked about what you were just saying, God, in the early 90s, right? This idea of that city centers would be, you, would, you wouldn't really leave the city centers. You talked about this 15-minute city. Well, yeah, that, that's in the original document, this idea of self-driving cars would keep you within a five-mile radius of the city. So, therefore, that's why they're pro Tesla and electric cars are not pro actual cars because again, you don't have the autonomy. They can just switch off the computer as they said they would do with Russian electric cars, right? So they already say, Hey, let's shut off the electric cars in Russia. If they can't drive them anymore, that's your future yeah. <laughs> on this trajectory. So, Oh, you say the wrong thing. Car shut off, computer shut off. Bank or, or even off. run you into a lamppost if they really don't like you. Yeah. Right. So in this one, that's that's the 15-minute city. It's just like keep you locked into that environment. Mm -hmm. And their, their justification, again, of course, is the is climate change. Yeah. We don't want you going into nature 
and fucking it all up because uh, you've destroyed it enough already, which translates to in real language as we want to control the water and the food production. So we just don't want you going out there. We need you to stay in the city and be a good slave. We, we played a clip of Bojo the Clown, Boris Johnson, our dear leader, uh, at the last Conservative Party conference where he was uh, using the term rewilding, which mm. is a concept that was in the uh, the Red Pill Brigade are f- familiar with. Maybe that's this is part of the issue as well, isn't it? That is Agenda 21, yeah. That that rewilding was used like 30 years ago. It's amazing that they're coming out with the stuff like <laughs> decades later and people are like, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. And I'm like, I mean, it's, they're literally saying the same stuff that's in the document. And then when you show them the document, they go, oh, that Agenda 21. Oh, that's a good thing. <laughs> so, uh, and that's usually a process. Yeah, rewild, rewilding basically just means the the sort of the removal of people from rural lands into these kind of city urban environments yeah. and the rewilding of the urban environment like hey we're going to rewild the environment for for nature which again just means we want to control the water and the food we don't want you out there we need you in a controlled environment and we're going to call it nice words like sustainability sounds great rewilding sounds great you know that's the but then again so does uh equal pay for all um but it murdered tens of millions of people in russia you know all of these things sound great but they result in mass murder every time you know so this is, uh, this is where we're at, which is why I say my focus is to always tell people to focus on your city because you can save your city and other people can save their city. You, by default, save your nation and your society. But this 2030 stuff is at the city level, so you have to gut out your 2030 legislation. And the formula to find it is actually quite easy. It wasn't easy to figure out, but once I figured it out, it's very easy. It's your city, 2030 sustainable development. So in this case, it's most likely going to be Preston 2030 Sustainable Development or Manchester 2030 Sustainable Development. That's it. Find that, find the people who put it in, get it repealed, and you'll get your cars back. You'll get much of everything that you care about back. If that stays in by 2030, your city will now be a sub-jurisdiction category of the United Nations, and it won't be part of the United Kingdom in any meaningful sense anymore. Top tip. Um, Now... Social credit score and stuff. My uh, fear is is that a lot of people will sleepwalk into this for convenience because a lot of these things are convenient. And we've just had a comment through on the YouTube from Tony saying uh, cashless society will be one of the biggest turning points, and it meshes in. You know, uh, not mm-hmm. using cash, using a you know a barcode in your wrist or whatever it's going to be to pay is is very convenient, but. I pay for my shopping with cash every week, and I encourage people to do so. I don't think I've used cash for two years. <laughs> well, what you need to do next time you go shopping is go to the cash machine, draw out 100 quid in cash. I don't think and, I know my PIN number anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and pay with cash, otherwise we will lose it. And but it's cash dirty is... and full of viruses, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. No, it's fine. Cleaned it. And it's part of your freedom. It's viruses exist. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think um, the cash thing, yeah, of course, is critical. So the the cashless society is, yeah, is a sub, again, really is a subcategory of the social credit system because the social credit system, you can think of it as the governing principle of the cashless society. So it's it's this, the social credit system that would dictate, of course, whether you can or can or cannot get served. Again, it goes back to the ESG, which expands more into the individual level. So by blocking that, we even if they brought in a cashless society, it has no teeth 
because you've banned the social credit system from being able to be used. So they can't say, oh, you you said something mean about LGBT or, or, or whatever issue it is, or women's rights, or you sustainable development, or COVID, whatever. Pick any issue, it doesn't matter. Um, they won't be able to ban you from using that cashless money if the social credit system isn't in place. I'm still obviously in favor of cash regardless. I'm just saying that the social credit system is the teeth in the cashless society. That's what they're going to use as a control mechanism. Because without it, it would just be what we use now on a bank card. You know, it wouldn't be any different to just putting your bank card in a thing. That's all digital already. It is the change of the system behind it and the governing principle of what will be around that currency is the real issue. So I think we we have to focus on, because correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you guys know something I don't, but is there any is there anything in motion politically, like in Westminster, for a digital currency yet like is there a is there a act in motion not at westminster it's the bank of england uh announced announced private bank of england yeah yeah yeah. the the (laughs) private bank of england like the private federal reserve private federal reserve yeah Yeah. national banks not national the the private bank of england are investigating the potential Mm. for a central bank digital currency a bitcoin if you like nice nice ring to it. it is yeah um, Sounds so, very patriotic, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought that. What, what is the? Because uh, this is something that's been coming up recently. Uh, the Fed, as well. In fact, I think that was last week. Yes, uh, JB Joe Biden had signed an executive order last week. I think didn't he to investigate the potential for um, a, a, a electronic not Fed electronic, coin, Fed coin, yeah, a digital dollar. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, right. what, what's the trap here? What's the trap with a centralized digital currency like this? Yeah, so it, it it very much ties into the social credit system, right, as we were talking about. I mean, the, the real trap with digital currency is the same as when you use PayPal or something right now, right? Like, we all know people that have been banned from PayPal, right? You get banned from PayPal because of wrong think, because you say something about COVID-19 or climate change or, or whatever. Um, so they ban you from PayPal. And even in America, I know people who have been banned from Wells Fargo, which is an actual bank, not just a like a digital bank, an actual bank, a real bank with cash um, because of they, because they're Christian and they talk about like um, gay marriage or abortion. They've been banned from actual banking for those issues. Well, look what's happened so, in Canada with the trucker protests. I mean, they've, they've, Trudeau really took it to the next level, didn't he? He did, yeah. So, you know, that's all coming. And the reality, the way that I look at it is there's, there's, uh, there's always going to be stepping stones in that we have to sort of block, right? And... The block from my perspective would be this the CSG issue. That's that's that is the the governing principle behind why cashless is going to work for them. But it's also immediately very helpful to us because it frees up a lot of our own <coughs> ingenuity because it allows businesses to get investment who can like produce energy, for example, produce food and all these really important things. So the way that I look at it is I try to think of like What's the maximum amount of wins we can get from one thing? And from the ESG thing, we can actually get a ton of wins, both on the currency side as well as the sovereignty side, as well as the social liberty side. So I think there's a lot of good that can come from that. But yeah, we know that if digital currency comes in permanently, we really have no choice then but to use a parallel system of trading. And that's why it's very important to have those networks set up but I really want us to stop it before it gets to that point. Well, you were talking about incentives before, and I don't know mm-hmm. if this is tied in, but 
what are your feelings on universal basic income and how do you how do you go against that essentially someone saying free money there's going to be billions of people millions of people how many people are there there's going to be a lot of people going oh great free money and it's coming from these guys these um the WEF or the WIF or the what? Uh, <laughs> it's going to be difficult to um, to offer them, you know, freedom, which is not valuable to someone who has uh, a desire for for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So there's 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 incentive via positiva and via negativa. So in this sense, positiva being you know positive incentive, get money, mm-hmm. and then there's negative, and in some some people are positively incentivized some people are negatively incentivized so really we have to use both and in this instance it's quite easy to use both right so if you think about universal basic income you have to tell them the obvious which is going to be a pittance right it's going to be like uh, the dole Mm. and you're never going to be able to get any of the life quality things you want you're not going to be able to upgrade your macbook or upgrade your car or anything with a universal basic income yeah exactly (laughs) so there's the negative approach, which is the consequence, your, your acceptance of UBI is going to mean you're going to lose your property rights. You're going to lose your ability to own a house, ability to own a car, mm-hmm. ability to own a business, ability to travel. Like, do you think that's really worthwhile for, the, for a digital doll? Uh, this is actually, that giving up property rights, that is actually going to be a condition of it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, so your, sure. de- your property debt will be cancelled, won't it? But you won't I mean, own the property. That's what I suspect i don't know exactly how they plan to roll that out but that's what i would suspect right because we've seen you know we, the the national debt is just at record levels like unsustainable national debts across the world are more than gdp of the nation's producing now so there's more debt than the nation's actually producing income um that's not even the personal debt that's just the national debt right and then if you go down to the personal level it's the same so i would suspect the same thing that you do that most likely the are going to say we'll cancel the debt but in return you know you're only going to get this universal basic income which means we're not taking your property rights away you're just not going to be able to buy any property you're just not going to be able to afford a car or a house and then of course they just erode the property rights by the aggregate of you not being able to access any of it anymore does that make sense yeah you've got another big cohort of people there though who are who are renting now They, they they don't like landlords i'm a landlord they, they don't like landlords. And if someone came along and said, tell you what, I can cut that rent by 30%. You don't have to deal with these private fat cat landlords. Um, they're going to be like, oh, great. And you're going to give me a basic income. You mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, a, a lot of people are going to be, no one is going to tell me anything is better than this. Yeah. It's and that's dream. the unfortunate situation landlords have been in, especially because of course, they just want to get rid of any property ownership. So that they've, they've put the landlords across the world in the last couple of years in a very difficult situation where they say, uh, we, we're going to make sure the, the renters don't really have to pay your rent, but you then accrue the debt and the empty space. So yeah, it's complicated, but we have to, you have to just think about it in terms of people just have to see the reality of the situation at first. Yes. It sounds appealing, but you have to say it's, and you have to understand you're giving up, Give them a checklist. You're giving up all of these things, right? Your your ability to travel. You're never going to own a home. You're never going to own a car. You're not even going to be able to go to other countries anymore. You're not going to be able to own a business. Really think it through. So that's the negative. But the positive, of course, is the opposite of that, which you could say, you know, don't you want to own a home? 
don't you want to have a business? Don't you want to make more money? Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point of life? Social mobility. You're not going to be able to do any of those things anymore. You're not going to be able to better yourself to get, you know, that nice car, whatever. So those are both incentives that can work. But I would say ultimately it's all about timing. Things are going to get really bad economically. They're always going to that. The whole point of COVID of course was to destroy the economy to make people dependent enough to, to get to this position. But there is going to be a time frame, I would say this year and next year, where we can act really quickly. And because when you think about it, people are going to be very desperate for fuel, which is expensive. Food prices are up. Their job, their, the value of the pound, the value of the dollars has gone down. So we're in a good position where the offer from Satan hasn't come in yet and people will be ready for a real solution. So then we'll be able to come in and say, look, let's produce our own energy again. Fuel prices are going to go down. The the value of the pound is going to go up as a currency because we're producing oil. UK could produce enough oil for 50 years. Easy, easy. It's an oil producing nation. So these are the kinds of, we have to use this now while we have that window, while people are desperate and they need solutions before Satan comes in and says, here's your UBI and we're taking all your shit. So we have like a year or two window to make this work. We're, start, we we're starting to see the chinks already, even though, you know, the inflation, the gas prices, the oil, the food shortages haven't even started to kick in yet. But we're already seeing in, in mainstream media talking about what about fracking? Shall we, uh, you know, because Quadrilla just pulled out of the Northwest for fracking and Whoa, get on the phone. Maybe we should get them back. Maybe. Oh, do you know what? As a country, it's quite important to have energy security. And, and, and it's not just energy. We're, we're just a complete service economy here. We don't, we don't produce enough of our own stuff. And we've, we've taken the cheap route. We've farmed out all our manufacturing to sweatshops in the Far East. And uh, during the last two years, it, it showed, you know, how... how, how um, flimsy the just-in-time supply chains can be and yeah. what sort of impacts it can have on people's everyday lives. So I think there is there is uh, chinks showing even before the bad stuff's beginning to bite, which is, opt- you know, a, a reason for optimism from my part. Yeah, we have to exploit any of those chinks, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that this window, as the COVID spell has somewhat died off, and like I say, I do think they will be back with another pandemic before they really roll out sustainability. But regardless of all of that, this is really our time. This is our window, right? So that they're starting to see that COVID was overblown. Even many of the media are admitting it to them. Those intentions might not be good, but regardless, people are starting to see. So this is the time while they're desperate, but not so desperate that they'll accept any deal that they're given. Because that's, that's kind of what they're hoping to get them to. They're going to get people to such a desperation that they will accept the UBI deal, the the social credit system deal. So we have, like I would say, you know, maybe eighteen months of a window. Let's say through this year and next year, a lot a lot we can do in that time. You know, and even just by chopping some of the twenty thirty legislation, and even blocking the ESG stuff, puts us years ahead of where we would have been. And then in that naturally the economy gets better and naturally businesses and get better and the production issue gets better. So that's why it really comes down to that. And if we don't act on it now, um, it is going to be impossible to act on uh, my timeline is 2025. I have it on the website, which you can go on the website, America 21 century.com. Uh, I have 2025 as our timeline. And if I, if we don't achieve our 
withdrawal from these treaties by 2025, I think we might have missed our window. Still enough time to build a spaceship in five years. <laughs> where, does, um, yeah. where does the Russia-Ukraine situation play into all this? Is this a glitch or is this part of the plan? Um, what do you foresee for the future? I mean, we know that Russia and Ukraine combined, they produce something like 25% of the world's wheat, world's barley, mm-hmm. 15% roughly of the world's fertilizer. So we know we're going to have food problems. Uh, China's stockpiling grain massively. Right, right. Yeah, well, so a month before Russia invaded Ukraine, I put up a video on TikTok, um, but I also put it on Telegram, which are the only two social medias I really use. I am on Facebook. I just don't use it much anymore. Um, And I put up a video a month, so January 27th. And I pointed out that the, that Russia was going to go into Ukraine, which of course happened. And I pointed out that the real consequence was going to be that uh, the West would cut ties with Russia and Russia would go towards China and they would drop the, the US dollar, which has, yeah. of course, happened. Now, the video is still up, pinned on my TikTok profile. You can go watch it. I pointed this out a couple months ago, long before the invasion happened, that this would be the consequence because that is, that is how the global governance mechanism works. So the premise... The reason that many of my predictions, they're not predictions, I just understand the framework. The reason that they're true is because I understand the premise and the premise is to bring, to erode America. America has to come down. America has to go because you can't have global governance with America existing because America is the de facto global governance. If you want to replace that model, America has to be gone. Now, China already is the proxy, the technocratic proxy. They were set up by David Rockefeller and Spignu Brzezinski who was National Security Advisor of Jimmy Carter, Foreign Advisor for Barack Obama, founding member of the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations, good friend of David Rockefeller. So they set up China to be a, a Western capitalist country, but what they really set it up was as is a technocracy, which is the system that Agenda 21 is. So China is this hyper-capitalist, centrally controlled state, i.e. technocracy, a technologically controlled centralist capitalist state. They have obviously a social credit system and many of the things that we're seeing coming in here they they were the model for the lockdowns and everything we did in the last yes. two years so they are the global model that we are supposed to follow so the reason that i knew a month before ukraine that they were going to move away from the dollar and russia and china are going to be pushed together everything that's happening now is because china is the leader that america that has to overtake america now that leadership won't be permanent it will be temporary because China isn't China is not America in 1950. China is not capable of carrying the world like America could in 1950. America produced like America had a very high moral population. It had very high production, very high GDP at the individual level. It was just a powerhouse that couldn't possibly have been stopped unless it was subverted and made itself destroyed itself, which is what's happened. So China cannot carry the century like America did. It, it but it's not supposed to. China is supposed to just be a proxy. So you could see that China is going to try to take this number one spot as global leader, which we're already seeing all the East go in that direction. And then what will happen is it will just be consolidated globally. Like China is just um, a middle ground position from America to global governance. I hope that makes sense. Now, the Ukraine situation was was just partly natural. It's in, it is, they, they, they have had a long-standing conflict for a long, long time. So I don't believe that this was um, purposefully instigated to be such, right? Like this, they've been doing this for decades, long before the Great Reset ex- existed, so to speak. But the people that control the boundary conditions we talked about before, the people that set parameters 
they know that if you move pawn A and pawn B, they still know it's their chess game. They still know what the chess game has to be. So in this case, Russia and Ukraine may be authentic, but those that control global affairs push it where they need to go with global affairs. So that's why a month before the invasion and two months before the drop of the dollar, I said that that was going to happen. And now it's happening with Saudi and, and everything else. So the next phase is the food shortages, which of course were going to happen anyway under the lockdowns. The lockdowns were, of course, most of the economic damage, of course. So that that's going to be the next phase. And this sort of um, realignment of West versus East is going to happen because then the global controllers, they have two power blocks that they can easily control. That's why they like power blocks. That's why they funded the Soviet Union. The, many of the Wall Street yeah. bankers, including the Rothschilds, they funded that because two power blocks, West versus East, is much easier to control than two, 200 nations. Yeah, so same in World War II as well. Exactly. Yeah, they funded the Nazis, the British, and the Soviets yeah. all at the same time. So, you know, and that's why they're pro-EU, but also pro-West. And by West, I really mean the Anglosphere, and then the East. So what we're going to have is like these three power blocks, the West, which is us, the European Franco-German, and then the Eastern Russo-China. But really, those three power blocks will be sort of controlled, of course, by the same people, and China will be the the prominent partner as the world goes more Chinese style, which is just technocratic, which is just global governance. So there's going to be a sequence that rolls out here over time. And that's really uh, what it was about. The, the primary catalyst for this, the primary uh, objective was the destruction of the dollar, which is already happening now. This is something that I was quite concerned about. And you've not really helped Mark because I've been watching for the, for the noises coming out of China and wondering, are they going to go all in? Are they going to go all in with Russia and split the world essentially in half with Russia, China, Iran, Pakistan, India? India have very strong ties with Russia. We could see India. We could end up with a sort of, rather than an east versus west, we could end up with a north versus south. Um, as far as the sanctions on Russia, it's only like you say, the Anglosphere, North America, Western Europe, New Zealand, Japan, Australia, Africa hasn't put any sanctions on Russia. South America hasn't put any sanctions. Asia hasn't put any sanctions on Russia. Right. So this is very concerning. Yeah, and, you know, the of course, China have a lot of infrastructure in Africa and Asia and Australia. Well, yeah, and yeah the Belt and Road, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's the ultimate end game here as far as the the conflict so you know on the january video i said about the dropping of the dollar and stuff which is happening now um i didn't really get to go much into bottom road because that's like a later step where we're maybe looking at a couple of years from now but that that's ultimately how global governance will operate from a trade perspective the bottom road initiative which or which has essentially china israel and the eu as the main points right they're the main influencer points china israel European Union. And then, of course, it goes through many other countries. It goes all around Asia, Middle East, all the way Eastern Europe and stuff. But the, the primary guys driving it are the China, Israel, and EU uh, drivers. And, of course, it usurps the American continent completely. You know, and, that, and, and there's a reason for that. Again, the premise of understanding how Russia and Ukraine was going to roll out is because I understand the premise is to destroy America. It has to be brought down. Now, there's a way that we can turn that to our advantage, in this sense, and the way that I'm doing it is is actually to withdraw 
from their treaties as well. Because what they're hoping to do is bring America down, but still have to leech off all the resources, right? And that's what the Agenda 2030 thing is. They're like, oh, we want, we don't, we want to destroy your currency, destroy your economy, but we still want to keep your land, obviously. So I'm kind of rolling with the punches, and I recommend that everyone take this approach. Think of it like judo. Roll with them. Don't roll against them. So what I'm doing is going, great, destroy us on the global stage. I'm sick of policing the world. But while we're sinking away, I'm going to fucking chop every bit of your legislation. I'm going to, this is going to end with my boots on your fucking throats. I have, it's only taken me nine months. I have state senators, several congressmen. I'm going to ban your social credit system. Then I'm going to ban your public private partnerships. Then I'm going to take the land back, the resources back and the farming back. And if you come back, I will put my boots on your fucking throat. That's what's going to happen. Well, it goes back to power being held accountably again, doesn't it? Like I, I said during the the whole Brexit thing, I want my politician at the end of my street, if I, you know, ideally somewhere close enough where I can ring him by the neck. I don't, wanna, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have to write an email to fucking Brussels to find someone who's a decision maker who's accountable. And so, yeah, you, it's tough one. You've you've got the right end of the stick. You know, it's. Um, Local power is, is is the key. If you can find your local representative and, and uh, put your boot on their neck, as you would say, it tends to get yeah. things done, doesn't it? Well, when I say the boot on the neck, I'm really thinking more of the 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 globalist, not so much the, the local representative. Definitely <laughs> don't put your boot <laughs> on the representative's neck. I was thinking more about Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates, <laughs> probably. Probably should stipulate that in future. Yeah. Um, yeah, just in case someone's like, hey, I found my local MP. Mark Malone said I should put his boot on his neck. I'm like, oh, shit, well, that escalated fast. Um, so definitely don't do that. No violence. Um, no, but this rolling with the punch thing is important. And this is kind of like the Brexit aspect, right, which is if we're going to get pushed away, then it's easier for us to take control of the situation as we go away rather than fighting to remain in. And in this kind of bringing down of America, I look at the positives and the positives are uh, while we are kind of being cut off from the global stage, that's a benefit because at the end of the day, we don't have the resources to police the world anymore. Uh, we have too much debt. We have, to, um, we have too much blood in our hands that we just don't want anymore. We don't want that. So all we need to do is just chop these tentacles mm. and then we'll be free and we won't be the police anymore. And then we can just take back control of our land and not be concerned. So I look at the positives of it because otherwise, if we were still, if we still had to be the global police and separate from globalism, it'd be very, very difficult to do, but they're pushing us in that direction. So I think it, we ought to look at the benefit of that. And after the withdrawal from the European union, the United kingdom's in the same position. Mm. It, you should look at that as a benefit. Like the isolationism at this point uh, can be, can be cultivated for your benefit for sure yeah that's an interesting point about the world police because as you mentioned previously usually if a country or a country's leader decides it doesn't want to trade in dollars it wants to abandon the petrol dollars that's usually when the f-16s and the troops start landing you know whether it's Gaddafi or saddam hussein whoever it is so yeah, it will be interesting to see how this plays out because there's, you've got all this this entire military-industrial complex which benefits from rubbleizing countries in the far, you know, in the Near East and whatnot. So there's there's uh, a tension there as well. If if America decides to become more 
uh, not isolationist, probably the wrong word, but less uh, interventionist when mm-hmm. it comes to foreign policy. Um, there's there's a tension there because there's a lot of people who benefit from, well, like like Cheney and uh, what's the name of the the firm beginning with Hall- Halliburton. You know, there's there's a tension there which would have to be negotiated. Yeah, it's that that part is actually the only thing that I can't really see clearly right now. Of all of the facets we've discussed, I, I see how they can play out very clearly. The financials, the 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 resource stuff, the trade stuff. But the military one is the only one that I can't quite see clearly. I can't because of the same reasons, because uh, China do not have the capability to to take over America's position as well, please. Uh, and Russia do, but it's going to take them a long, long time to build that. Like they have the military capability, but they're not, they don't have the infrastructural capability to pull it off right now. So take the combined effort many years to take over what America has been able to do. That part I can't quite see clearly. I would assume that what's most likely going to happen is that they would probably assume this sort of NATO thing into a formal, a more formal military, less so than being like America with just a couple of bases in other countries. It's what NATO really is. It is vastly just the American military. Maybe that becomes actually its own military entity, which would be somewhat separate from America's jurisdiction. That could be potentially what would happen. Yeah, that but I'm makes not really sense. Sure. Yeah, the, a massive expl- expansion of the blue helmets. <laughs> they love the, right. their own nukes and stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. Man. Yeah, can... It's funny you say that, actually, because the woman who, there was a woman on um, YouTube who said in September 2019 that they were going to do this coronavirus 2000. Uh, she, she predicted COVID in September 2019. And the reason she did is because of the event 201 stuff. So she, she was right there when it happened and said, this is what's going to happen. And of course it happened. Um, her next prediction is actually that China will invade the U S. So I thought, well, I mean, her prediction was very spot on last time. So, uh, I just don't see how that's really possible because like, you know, I mean, as great as her prediction was before I, I, I game theory that one out. And I think, how is that really possible? Like they don't really have the military might to invade America. And even if they did, we're all really heavily armed. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I have like three AR-15s in that cupboard right there. Like, so it's like, you know, with about 10,000 rounds of machine gun ammo. Like, so, and I'm like, there's a hundred million men like me who are that heavily armed. Like we're all really have, especially in like South Dakota, yeah. we're all, everyone's heavily armed here. So it's like, and even if they were to get past the military, they're just going to get shot everywhere so it's like i just can't see it happening but that was what you said china's gonna invade america well on that note mark is there any um thoughts you want to leave us with because we've gone past an hour already and i could talk to you all night about this if we didn't talk talk about big tech a censorship or a million other different things we could have talked <laughs> about so um i mean the website's on the screen and it'll be in the show notes america21century.com but is there anything any final thoughts you want to leave us with um, yeah, I guess the most important thing would be go to the site and on the homepage, there's a, there's a button that says local activism, click the button. And there is, there's, there's a bit of a guideline there for local activism, both on how to spot this stuff in your legislator, but also like some potential food systems you can set up in this parallel system version it's basically political activism with parallel society. So go through that. There'll be some useful, um, useful tips. 
uh, sign up for the newsletter. And then when I have the proof of concept that I can export over to you guys, um, I'll send it out in the newsletter. So just wait for activation. And again, no violence, because I know the CIA are probably watching me now. When I say activation, I mean politically. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's been good to chat to you guys, man, for sure. Well, let's chat again. We can talk the, the, the other stuff next time, for sure. Cool. It's been a pleasure, Mark. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll sign off for for part one. Just stay on the line yeah. for us for two minutes while we play ourselves out. And uh, like you say, if you're watching, it's there on the screen, America21Century.com, or check out the show notes, and and you can find Mark's website there, and and tune in, sign up to the newsletter, do all those great things, and you know, let's let's put the boots on the net proverbial <laughs> neck, proverbial, not physical neck yeah. of these fuckers, Definitely and not uh, physical. yes, all right. We'll see you for part two after a short break, an interval, an intermission. Sayonara! Being a good, responsible COVID citizen is something we should all uh, aspire to. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. Putin is Hitler. Right, then we're back. The dwarf. Ronnie Pickering! And the mother of madness. Who the fuck's that? Yeah, me! Is that really loud? Or is it me? It's you. Yeah. It's me. Oh, that's all right then. Well, that was our chat with Mark Malone from uh, America21Century.com. Mm-hmm. Very informative. Yeah, he's, um, he knows some stuff about that. In, he's in uh, an encyclopedic conspiracy therapist. Yeah, conspiracy analyst. Yeah. Analyst. Mm-hmm. ECT. I enjoyed that. Uh, there was so much we could yeah. have talked about, and uh, you know we're limited by the the revolving of the of the sphere. Yeah, and he was a really good talker as well, wasn't he? He was really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really good. And, uh, he was. Yeah. So uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get Mark back further down the line before the world ends <laughs> to uh, <laughs> go through the next steps. Yeah. Next week, then. Next week. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really uh, waiting to see. He's, he seemed pretty convinced that China was going to go all in with, with Russia and, and cause this divide with Iran and Pakistan and other countries. Um, I'm uh, waiting. I'm, I'm on tenterhooks to see what they do. The Chinese, the, uh, the CCP. Mm. It's not the Chinese people. This is something that's often uh, used as a weapon mm-hmm. against people because uh, loose language uh, can ships. be... Can be sink ships. Quiet there, and uh, yeah, it's not intentional. When we say Chinese, we mean the ruling body, the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Not much of a party happening, happening over there. Oh, you never know. No, it's pretty grim. It's pretty grim. They might have some wicked parties. They just don't know about it. I'm sure the Mark, communist Mark's leadership brothers. have some great parties, but unfortunately, you know the rest. You know they have to put nets up. That Around sounds the... like someone's jealous because they've not been invited. <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather not work in a factory where they have to put nets around the outside to stop you killing yourself. Yeah. That's okay with you. I'd rather not go down that route. No. No. Or eating shoes, shoe leather. Is that like... Sure, you could work in a ground know, floor factory. That's communist Russia, but... Yeah. yeah. Same, same uh, methodology, same ideology behind it all. Same outcome. We shall see. Boiling your shoes. So check out the uh, the link in the show notes and uh, do what Mark said. Sign up for the newsletter. Find your local representative. Find out ways of petitioning said representative and getting things into motion is a good thing to do, I would say. 
Or just lean back and embrace the change. Yeah. Yeah, the choice is yours. You can do whichever you want. If you want to sell your soul for a bag of coffee every month, that's fine. But if you want to, um, you know, try and retain some autonomy in this life and for your children, then you might have to do something. You might have to turn the telly off and actually get on your eyes and do something. That sounds like hard work to me. Yes, but we like hard work. Lift up a heavy thing and carry it. Is that communist motto? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's also Jordan Petersonism, isn't it? He talks about the value in, in just picking up a load and carrying it and finding meaning for you in, in your life. Uh, whereas, yeah, the communists would just say, just pick that up and carry it to the other side of the room just for something to do so we can tick a box. There's no value in it and uh, you, you don't benefit from it. But you can derive benefit from weird means and value. I know you should build your uh, finger, Gray. I built, uh, I was going to say Socrates. It's I was going to say Copernicus. It's, it's Galileo, Galileo. It's him. Galileo of Galilee. <laughs> yeah. I have built it. It's good. Looks fresh. I like it? it. That feather is fucking massive, though. <laughs> it's quill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, I think Galileo, like me, would have had a black quill. You think? Yeah. I think that's a statement. It is a statement. You've made that statement. It's not like I'm an occultist or anything. But I just think I just I just find black quills more aesthetically pleasing. Oh, that's the quill. So uh, we've been talking about what we've done over the weekend in the in the in the uh, the intermission that you lot weren't privy to. I uh, I gave an oil change to my van, my beloved van of twelve years. You did it. Did an oil change yeah on uh, Friday. You want, to, uh, you want me to run you through it? Tell us about your sum. Yeah. So I went to my first job on Friday morning. Little job. Uh, I was done for about half nine, quarter to ten. Bowel movement, right? <laughs> Just a little... You out. finished work on a Friday at quarter to ten. <laughs> no, no, it's the first job. My first job. I was there for uh, 20 past eight. Did a little jobby in the garden. A wee jobby. I did a wee jobby in the fucking garden. And uh, it was off Gaustang Road. Right. And next week, I'm having to commute. Ooh. I'm going to have to do 14 miles a day. Where that take you to? Longridge. Oh. So, and I had two bars of diesel fuel left. So I thought, and I was working off Gaustang Road, I thought I'd better go and fill up at the Texaco in preparation for next week. So I went to the uh, Texaco, filled it with diesel, paid, got back in the van, Died. Won't start. No. Not on the fuck. fuck. <laughs> Couple of deep breaths. I'll try it again. I'll try it again. Kian. Fuck! Double fuck! Oil light came on. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. How, so, how can oil not make your engine start? I know. Well, I'll, I'll fill you in for why. <laughs> it's all over your drive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Three times a charm. Big plume of fucking shit. White smoke, new pope. Yeah. We have elected Pope Urban the 15th. The Nissan Cuba star is deemed... So it started. I thought, fuck, oil light, we're on. Um, I better get it home because if I go to my next job, it might not start again. So 
took it home, uh, checked the oil. Uh, no, no, no oil. <laughs> There's no oil. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero oil. So I, went, I took, the, uh, took the Fiesta to Halford's, got a top-up of oil. So, you know, officially it's had an oil change, hasn't it? It went down oh to nothing. God. I've changed it for new. <laughs> your engine got no oil in it. Have you, uh... When was the last time I had it serviced? Had it what? <laughs> serviced. What's that? Mm. You never get it serviced. Sorry? Is, that, get... a thing? Is that like an MOT? <laughs> You're going to need um, a new oil filter. Uh, no. <laughs> My missus said the same thing. She said, when, do you, when did you last get it... Um, Service, I said, I don't know, 2015, 2016. <laughs> Seriously? Holy shit. It doesn't do any miles. It doesn't do any miles. You know what? You would love, Phil. You'd it love, Zero like... miles and it never fails. <laughs> Set the sometimes time it's... It... So, yeah, sometimes it takes three times and then I have to give it a little drink. <laughs> God. <laughs> a little drinky of iron. <laughs> It'd be there with a horse. It'll be good for like five years now. It's had a litre of oil. A litre. It's fucking bulletproof. It's like those Toyota um, Mega Echo. Why have we got Mega Echo? <coughs> oh. Ah, oh, no. I, I think uh, you're, you're high, Rob. <laughs> okay, Mega Echo. Let me just check. Tony's saying Echo in as well. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, what's happening? Oh, what's going on here? Oh, it's on the camera. <laughs> Oh, I hope. Uh-huh. Sorry about that. I hope that didn't happen during the interview. For some no. reason, uh, Black Magic Cam was uh, providing some some audio, additional audio. Yeah. Okay. Well, well you have to download the fucking podcast <laughs> then, won't you, Spaz? Yeah. A bit pissed. No, not high. Good. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, give it a little drink every five years, and it's just it's just fucking bulletproof. It's like them Toyota. That's what I was going to say. Them Toyota pickups that used to uh, what they called run them? into the ground. Hilux. Rav fours. No. No. Hilux. No. Is it Hilux? Toyota pickups. It's what the Taliban. Taliban use. Yeah. So just the... amazing vehicles. Oh, what are they called? Yeah. Yeah. like that for an hour. Is it Hilux? Is it a Hilux? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh well, never mind. Um, Been like that for an. Why, Why did anyone tell us? Poor Tony's been unplugging every wire in his computer. Hello? Hello? Oh, God. Um, yeah, so you'd probably be an ideal candidate for a situation where you have some sort of electric car that only drives you about five miles outside of your exactly, house yeah. to go to your very near jobs that you seem to do all the time. Why? Well, because so you don't have to worry about you don't you were saying you were worrying about going seven miles and back. I'm being sarcastic. All right, I'm not worried about it. I, I, that's why my reason for filling up. Uh, I better get a bit of extra because I only had two bars of, of diesel. What did you put in another half bar? Oh, <laughs> no, I, I filled it. <laughs> filled it. Yeah, Ooh, it. yeah, 180 oh, quid geez. cost me. Fucking <laughs> <Okay>, hell! <laughs> have you got a hole in your fuel tank as well? <laughs> Yeah, um, the problem with uh, electric cars is... Um, I can't believe you've not put any oil in your car for seven years. It doesn't need it, it's fine. It tells you when it needs oil. It's, I don't think you need oil for an electric car. You put oil in an electric car. It has mm. moving parts, surely. I think yeah, they're probably grease. You the grease motors. the wheels of... Yeah, it's motors on the, on the axles, isn't it? Yeah. What happens if the electricity grid goes down? Solar powered. Yeah. Cars aren't solar powered. Um, How do you charge a car up? 
Well, they just turn it off, don't they? They're going to turn it off anyway, so... Yeah, yeah. That's, That's why you want independent, really. I think my van would probably run off, like, vegetable oil. <laughs> Is it pi- diesel? Yeah. Yeah, it will. Run do. off anything. Will do. That's why I'm going to keep it. Fat. Yeah, charging infrastructure is the big thing. Like, no one's thought through all these people who live in terrace houses. Mm, you don't have yeah. a drive. How are they going to plug your car in? They yeah. won't have cars. Or, you know, just charging your car on the motorway. Yeah, they won't have cars. Oh, yeah. you run out of and they won't be able to have cars. No. no. They won't need them. Because they live in the city. Exactly. exactly, yeah. That's the whole idea. And be happy. You nailed it, yeah. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Yeah. And so are your children. Mm. <laughs> so, I don't know, we'll see. I, th- I think there'll still be some of us driving around the country with uh, Aston Martins. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. I uh, I did a job for someone on uh, Thursday, someone who was working from home. Yeah. And um, she stayed in bed all morning. In bed on duvet over with the laptop. Is she working for OnlyFans? <laughs> no. Just I don't know who she worked for. I just thought it was it was kind of tragic. She might be an author. Yeah. I don't I don't care. I mean, you need to get up and like move. You've been in bed for eight hours, and then you just wake up and turn a laptop on. Just <laughs> stay there. It's not good, you know. This isn't healthy. No, I know. Yeah, you, sh- you should be moving. <laughs> At least be upright. <laughs> There is, there is something, isn't there, apparently, about being uh, let down for prolonged periods of time and not supposed to do it. <laughs> oh, no! No, we're not designed for it, are we? Bipedal. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't make me, didn't offer a brew. Fucking hell. No. Oh, well, obviously not. She didn't get out of bed. Tea's made. Did she, like, say, <laughs> so, sorry, I'm in bed working or something? No, actually, she, she, got into, she got out of bed to let me in. Yeah. And then just went upstairs to bed. Right. The laptop. Well, Maybe she, she was kids. cowering in fear. Her <laughs> husband was in. He was in the other room. In his, you know, I presume in, in another his bed. bed. <laughs> on another <laughs> laptop. Did he have a full suit and tie on? No, no, just in a, in his scrubs. Right. No, I, he's I think a surgeon. He, <laughs> <laughs> a surgeon. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's pretty tragic. This whole working from home thing. I um, fucking love it. <laughs> I'm sure it's good for some people. I think on a societal level. So it's only a detriment. Oh, well, society's on its way out anyway. Who needs society? Absolutely. Yeah. Got to look after number one. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? Oh, look what Rob's written. One of my customers just got given an electric lease car. His office is 260 miles from his house. Car goes only 220 Miles on a charge. Yeah, push it for 40 miles. Yeah, you got to charge it on the way. I mean, this is one of the biggest drawbacks with these electric cars is the if you go to a, a petrol station, you're in and out in three minutes. Yeah. Whereas the charging car, you've got to plug in and leave it for well, half an hour for a super fast one, isn't it? For is a that half as good charge? as they are? Half an hour, as good as they get? I think so, yeah. If my office was 260 miles from my house, I certainly would think about either working from home or perhaps moving house or moving job. Yeah, 260 miles. What's this, like the middle of the North Sea? <laughs> Is it like London or something? It must be down there or up there. Can you yeah. go 260 miles north from here? 
don't know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Might be Glencoe. He might be a park <laughs> ranger. <laughs> John O'Groats. Who's he? <laughs> the haulage company. Eddie Stobart. <clears throat> joking. He has to set off. He has to set off on. He has to set off an hour early just to get there. He does work uh, from home, but base to go in every week. Yeah, has to go in every week. Right, well. Shit. Why? Just say why? Just say no. Just go in like Zamo. Go on the train. Mm. Yeah, why is he not getting not the train, train like a good... A good COVID citizen. Yeah, a good climate citizen, yeah. Save Blockland. Get the train for what's sake. Wonder if he could put an electric bike in the back of his electric car and get that <laughs> those extra forty miles. I'd be like doing a guild wheel. <laughs> yeah, twenty-one miles. Is it twenty-one? Twenty-one miles to go. Got twenty-one miles to go. <laughs> you need a studio. You need to let me even know. I got twenty-one miles before. I got to go. I got twenty-one miles. Go, go, go. Twenty-one miles. I tell you, that is Blazing Squad. <laughs> solid crew. Some solid oh, crew. Do you not remember Bam Jimba telling us about when he went to Downing Street with Lisa Mafia? Ah, what's it? I thought it was to Lisa someone. No, it's Lisa Mafia from Soul Solid Crew. Oh, right. And they all got cavity searched. Yes. By the Queen. It was herself. like that, getting cavity searched next to Lisa Mafia down Downing Street. Episode 88. Because of drugs. They were because they, of drugs. <laughs> yeah, because you know how anal people are, you know, in the establishment about drugs. Like uh, two guys from Lisa Mafia and someone else from Soul Solid Crew had raised some like two hundred and fifty grand for a charity for people in you know, young kids in and so they fucking cavity searched them when they arrived for the reward. You missed that podcast. <laughs> Evidently. Yeah. It's one of the Bam Jimba ones, yeah. Oh dear. Because, you know, Oh, you know what these urban folk are like. We better, uh, better, you know, put some something in. Better put some some system in. Some fingers in. Some fingers in, yeah. Oh, no. Fuckers. Ooh. Right, come on, we're dragging our feet, man. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. <laughs> It's a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast fast valuable, <laughs> if you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. No! It's a myriad of ways of doing this, and as ever, my favourite is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. To grow the audience, I think more people need to join the Discord. Personally, how would they do that? Um, go and look in the show notes. Um, hit up. Uh, What's it called, our one now? Is it all my links? Press on that. That's got all our links in. That's it. That's yeah. exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah, but it's only on YouTube because I can't... All my links. That's exactly what it says on the tin. That's it. Um, I'm not really sure how to add it to the website. I had a, I had a, I had a brief go at doing that, but I couldn't figure it out. So it's just on YouTube at the moment. I reckon people should also perch some merch. Perch some merch. Yeah, from the Amish loot chest. Mm. How would they do that, Ben? They'd probably go to the show notes. Yeah. Whereupon they would visualise the links provided. <laughs> or the website. Yeah, you get a literally communist hoodie. Three yeah. days to flatten the earth. T-shirt and mugs. Yeah. What else can you get on there? A New World Odour branded deodorant. 
Ooh, that's a good one, yeah. yeah. Soap, soap and a rope. On the list. <laughs> soap. Soap and a rope, New World, Odair. Oh, <laughs> oh nice. Oh, gosh, nice. I thought you, I thought you were going to go Epstein with that. Better. <laughs> soap <laughs> on a rope. Uh, like a voodoo doll on a rope. <laughs> oh, suddenly got dark in here. Dope on a rope. Yeah. Dope on a rope. Cameras are off, it's right. Yeah. What else can you get? How else can you become a producer? Leave us a review on yeah, your favoured podcast listening hub. And then potentially send it to us because we don't always get them. Yeah, or Spotify, you can now, yeah. the the implementation is there for to give us a rating on Spotify. Okay. Um, what else? Oh, send us news stories. Um, you know, if it's a long one, timestamp it. That's send always helpful. News. Well, if it's a clip. It's like an audio video clip. You can yeah. timestamp it. Leaf and Big Conspire is very good and helpful it, at doing that. It does, doesn't it? It does that a lot. It highlights the important bits. You can so f- like working and we appreciate it. Yes! Um, <laughs> can focus some chi for you if you like. You can ask us. And All right. Ask- so there's a thread in the Discord for that. If you uh, require some chi focusing in your direction for your given aim, maybe, maybe uh, you have a job interview. And uh, you require our community to focus our chi in your direction. Maybe you're feeling unwell, or someone you love, someone dear to your heart is feel, feeling unwell, and, and is suffering from depleted chi in the form of a health condition. Um, so put your submissions in the Discord or email us at thearmistinquisition at gmail dot com, and we will focus our chi collectively mm-hmm. in your direction for your given aim. Correct. Not a cult. And it's hundred percent effective so far. It is, isn't it? What is it? What have we done? Um, have we have we got Jamie through the second degree yet? Uh, I don't know. What time? That was the, one of the last requests, he wasn't it? To. Jamie needed some help memorizing things for the second degree. His masters. <laughs> he hasn't uh, updated us, has he? From my knowledge. So I can only imagine it's good news. Yeah. Yeah. He'd only tell us if it was bad. Yeah. Uh, show us. Show show artwork. <laughs> show us show artwork. Yeah, so if you haven't noticed, um, there aren't many podcasts that do this, but we have different show artwork every week for each episode, yeah. and we encourage you to submit to us. <laughs> now, to submit your artwork for consideration, and we only had one submission this week, but... <laughs> Uh, when I saw it, I think most people in Discord said, uh, yeah, that's it, that's going to win. There's that's no point submitting cool. anything else. So this is the uh, artwork submission for episode 224 from Bunyanuts. So prolific, Bunyanuts. It is. Oh, it's Thank excellent. You. And check that out. Yeah, boom. that. Who's that? That's uh, Klaus Anal Swab. Oh, is that him? That's actually a real life, that's these real robes. <laughs> If you can believe that. It's New World Order <laughs> uniform. Yeah. It's like the Federation, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, oh. Bunyanot has done an excellent job uh, sort of layer masking him and su- superimposing him onto some stormtroopers, some galactic imperial stormtroopers mm. behind him. Yes. And uh, one of the stormtroopers is saying, Shh, episode 224. TK421. <laughs> TK421. Do you copy? No. TK41, why are you not in your post? Situation normal. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, situation normal. Uh, yeah, I would have liked... Um, you could have had a bubble coming out of Klaus's mouth saying, 
execute order 2030. Oh, that would have been, oh, yeah. I yeah. thought about editing it, but I respect our artists. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. um, I think he's done an excellent job of, of layering that. I mean, it's properly well photoshopped that. You, can, you can't see the seam. <laughs> can you? Can you? And he's got Mark Malone there at the bottom, saving America from global governance, which is sort of the strap line for what Mark's all about on his website. I think that's excellent, excellent yeah. artwork. And as as you referred to, Bunyan is on a ripping seam of form. He is, isn't he? When it comes to the artwork. Um, so that leaves us with the YouTube thumbnail. Mm. We need a title for this episode. Agenda Benders. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'll have to write that one down. Agenda Bender. Immediately banned. <laughs> Strike. Klaus. Um, what could we have? Um, global Tyrant or... What did, was the first question? What about Mark? Satan Klaus is coming to town? <laughs> Satan Klaus is coming. Satan Klaus. Klaus... Uh, Puppet or master? Klaus. Christ, I can't write fast enough. No. Puppet. It's because you're using the wrong hand, mate. I know, I'm (laughs) cack-handed. Puppet. (laughs) Oh, master. Right, very good. Excellent. I like that. I like them. Throwing the pen away, it's done. I'll make the artwork disappear now. Nice. The magic of technology. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Uh, any other ways to become a producer of the Armist Inquisition? Toss us a coin. <laughs> Toss a coin to your wish. That's right. Do it for the lads. 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 You know, because... Oh, we're nosing and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Yeah. Oh, Christ. Oh, fuck me. Yeah, I hit the wrong pad there. I thought we had a correction incoming, but obviously not. So if you go to thearmistinquisition.com and uh, find the PayPal button there, you can give us a one-off donation, sign up for a sustaining, recurring donation. Donations at a level of £50 or over will grant you the rank, the cachet, the degree of executive producer for that episode. And that... Looks bloody spitting on your curriculum vitae. Mm, rather. Would you not agree, Yard? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, only you fuckers out there can... Save Plotland. And keep the shit show going. Yes? Yes. Because I'm literally a communist. We need your help. We have bills to pay. We need your help paying them. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Just till UBI comes in. Mm. Then it'll be David all to the podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's so obvious. Just It just makes inflation go up. Mm-hmm. If you give away free money, it just makes everything cost more. Yes, because there's more money. But people will just say, oh, free money. It's not free. <clears throat> the government doesn't have any money. <laughs> it's our money or, and our business's money. Yeah. Oh, free money. I mean, it's idiotic, but... People, like you said, will lap it up. Mm-hmm. And then the price of everything will go up and they'll realise they were poorer. <laughs> Fuck, they were poorer from when they started. Shit. Oh, well, too late now. Worry about that when we get to it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, get a cabin. 
Well, and an AR forty or whatever it is, AR fifteen. Found some, haven't we? In oh. France. Yeah, the Chateau. Well, no, just a little cabin in the woods. Can we get Dick Drawbridge? In? <laughs> Dick wow. Drawbridge. I don't know. That's the only thing. <laughs> what a great nickname. We'll end up like uh, the Unabomber, unfortunately. It's his real name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not Dick Drawbridge. It is. Strawbridge. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. butter. Start churning butter. We are Amish, after all. Exactly. Uh, maybe oh, I think there's a TV show about people trying to live the Amish <laughs> life. An Amish paradise? Is oh, that what it's I don't know how it should be, but it probably won't be. I, I saw a trailer for it, but not much else. What platform's it on? I, uh, television. I, don't, I think it's on the, the normal television. You see uh, Paramount's launching its own platform now. They've uh, taken some oh, stuff off Netflix. Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, Star Trek, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh, did you see that clip of Star Trek Discovery? No. For the end of the next of this season? No. So, uh, you know, it's like um, the, the head of the global, the head of the global, the head of the Galactic Federation turns up, the president of the Federation. So the one with the big chaps? No, it's um, played by Stacey Abrams, a Democratic candidate. From Georgia, I think. What? A woman, a woman of color. Right. Okay. And uh, it's like, well, you'll have to watch the clip and, and decide. I mean, can't enough Paramount, whatever it is. No, the message is pretty clear. What we're getting at. We're bad. We're bad. White men. There's no place for us in the in the Galactic Federation or the future. It's about time. I agree. So, yeah, it went viral because, I mean, it's just so overt what they're trying to do, what they are, what they are doing with their messaging through the media. Luckily, I'm insulated because I don't watch any of that shit, and it is terrible, the new Star Trek. I couldn't get into it at all. It's like Picard. Have you been watching Picard? I watched the first series of Picard. I do like Discovery, though. I like the, the new tech in it. It's quite good. The new the spore drive. My senior network. Yeah. I like it. It's, it entertains me. Good. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. But I can't watch it anymore, so that is less entertaining. Is it, is it off now? Is it off Netflix Yeah, now? it's off Netflix, yeah. <clears throat> well, that, that seemed to be quite a snap decision then. I think... Well, I've known Paramount's launching this thing for ages. It's been out for ages. Um, oh. So I think it's just That's late a- reporting. But, yeah, it's been off Netflix for a while now. Yeah. It takes me a while to... Collect up all the contracts, doesn't it? And wait for all all to end. Yeah, and then they can get all the content. Well, we've just downgraded our Netflix because apparently it was going up to, I think, £17. Yeah. So we've just gone down a tier, apparently. Mm -hmm. I would just sooner get rid of it completely, but... They're doing a thing where you can't share your passwords either, so I think they're cracking out (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, right. Well, then... Well, we don't do that anyway because we just pay for everything... Uh-huh. And then our in-laws and mother and uh, everyone uses ours, so no, it doesn't we, bother me, to be honest. I, just I, d- I demanded direct debits were set up. Yeah. They've been adhered to. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't, I'm fortunate really, my missus looks after all the household finances. Oh, right, okay. I just, I just hand over the wad. <laughs> <laughs> On hum- hump day. On Wednesday night, yeah. Oh, On hump day. Ooh. Here it is. Um, I was listening to um, Grime America this week Mm -hmm. my favourite podcast Darren and Graham our friends who we've spoken to before 
Mm. Yeah. And um, they read out their emails sometimes and, and letters when they catch their eye. And they had a letter from somewhere, someone from Leicester. And I just wanted to play this little clip. Sorry, and apologies in, in advance, Graham. And just before I go, Graham, you might be interested to know that I am a rural Leicester. Leicester. Oh, see, Le- Leicester. Leicester. I think it's just Leicester. Leicester. I think it's just Leicester. I think it should be Leicester. Though. Yeah, Leicester. Leicester. Yeah. Leicestershire. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to DM him on and tell him how to uh, Leicester. Leicester. Just pronounce Chester. it like it's like Uncle Fester. Yeah, with, a, with an L. I think I, I didn't. I didn't pick up Bill on this last week, but I'm pretty sure he said Edinburgh. Oh, did he? Yeah. I mean, it is... Technically spelt right. I mean, I don't think we've any room to talk because those boys are from Canada. Yeah. Saskatchewan. And all these weird... They have loads of weird place names, so... Cubic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... It's just a bit of fun. (laughs) It is, isn't it? We're just poking fun. But it's a common one, isn't it, for Americans Mm. for, for... Leicestershire. Gloucestershire. Leicestershire. It's a, it's a tricky one. So maybe I shall I shall have to send a note saying this is how you pronounce it. I uh, prefer those pronunciations. I think it's just Leicester. Yeah, it's just Leicester. Leicester. That's Leicester. how uh, that's how Sean Connery would exactly. say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, money penny, I believe you're from Leicester. Is that right? Uh, is he Dutch? <laughs> you know, sometimes it's okay to smack a woman. Do you know if you've seen that, that interview? Was, yeah, it was on the BBC. Yeah. Uh, I think so, yeah. Because they just don't know when to stop. Sometimes you just have to... You just have to give them a smack, a tap. Old school. Yeah. He's dead now, anyway. He's fine, he's dead, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Needs to go back and watch The Rock. <laughs> film okay moving on did you hear the collective cry of anguish from students across the uk on monday no no was it about netflix going up (laughs) no antiques road trip cancelled bbc show taken off air in schedule shake-up oh thank god i felt a great disturbance in the force as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced don't worry, though, because Homes Under the Hammer is still on. And Coach Trip is back with Brendan. Oh. Antiques Road Trip has been replaced on the BBC One schedule with a new quiz show, because we can do with more of them. More quiz shows. Yeah. There isn't enough of them on the screen, is no. there? Is it going for gold? Otherwise, I'm not interested. <laughs> that would be amazing. Going and going and going and going and going and going and going. Hello, hello, welcome to Gordon Figaro. I'm Henry Kelly. Henry Kelly. Have to do a wave. Do a wave. Let people go. Dead. Can't wave properly. Must be. Must be. Well, he's thirty. At least thirty years since Going for Gold was on TV. Henry, if you're listening, please get in touch. We need a guest. I think mid nineties. Yeah. No yeah. way. Yeah. No yeah way. Mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Not, what, when it finished. Yeah. 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 All right. Oh. All right. Mm. 
the last couple of seasons were trash. I don't know. I didn't watch them. <laughs> it lost itself, right. didn't it? In the middle. Yeah, part of the old EU propaganda. I can't remember what it was. was From Sweden, yeah. It was all about European arms across Europe. It was part of the messaging from the BBC. Oh, right, okay. We're all all in it together. We all... From Yugoslavia. It's only speak English. Were they not all like English people in the studio? I can't remember the format of it. All the contestants were from across (laughs) Europe. (laughs) I can't remember. You stack those... I don't know what I was thinking of. Silver, silver, gold, (laughs) fucking gold. Obviously, gold, <laughs> gold coins, going for going for bronze. <laughs> well done. It's the taking part that counts. <clears throat> anyway, Antiques Road Trip has been replaced on the BBC One schedule with a new quiz show filling its usual slot. The quiz show named Bridge of Lies is being fronted by former EastEnders star Ross Kemp. Okay. <laughs> the show will be airing at 4.30 every weekday in place of the long-running Antiques programme. The game show Bridge of Lies will be running for the next 25 days on BBC One. For the programme, contestants have to face a bridge where they choose who takes on each crossing... Who gets to live. Who takes... <laughs> squid. squid bridge of squids. <laughs> <laughs> they choose who takes on each crossing depending on the question category. Each crossing has 32 potential steps, including 22 truths and 10 lies. Oh, yeah. Players must cross the bridge by stepping on the truths and avoiding the lies, earning cash for each correct answer. However, if they step on a lie, the bridge will halve their money. If they step on three lies, they'll be kicked out of the game. Once each contestant has faced the bridge alone, those who have been successful will join forces to face the final crossing for a chance to take home the money. The contestants on the first episode included Anita, Rajan, Bobby and Sanj. It will be the first time Ross, 50, Ross Kemp, 57, uh, has presented a ra- who has presented a range of critically acclaimed documentaries has hosted a quiz programme. So this is Quiz Show debut. Uh, ahead of the show airing, the former soap actor Ross told the BBC... What makes Bridge of Lies stand out from other quiz shows? He exclaimed, Firstly, it's very physical. The contestants are not just standing behind the podium answering questions. (laughs) They have to physically make their way across the bridge. No. And that's no easy feat. No, he's quite posh. Go on. Uh, Here you go. I don't know. Where are we, we up to? We also. We also get to watch wow. the contestants <laughs> reacting to how their fellow team members play the game. That's uncanny. <laughs> That's how you do it. We see inside the various group dynamics and get an insight into how these people interact with each other. You're just reading. Yes. <laughs> it can all get a little bit messy, a little bit soap, soapy, actually. Soapy messy. Soapy? The uh, ping their nipples. Yeah. Tweak. Nipple tweak, like I had off during the joiner. Yeah. You don't have to be a massive quizzer to get get into it. It's as much about following the journey of contestants as it's about knowing or not knowing the answers. What a massive quizzer. Wow. Excellent. Good job. Oh, well done. <sighs> um, should we go to Ukraine? Okay. Uh, did you see the refugee derailing a live TV interview? Asking mm. about weed? Mm, no. 
I think it was recorded in Poland, and uh, I think it was ITV or Sky TV reporter on the ground, boots on the ground, mm-hmm. quizzed said refugee. Tell me quickly, are you all right? I'm all right. And how, how many people are trapped I in there? Fit, legalized. 420. 420? Yeah, British. 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 Uh, how many more? Uh, it's legalized in uh, Great Britain. Pardon? Uh, is uh, cannabis legalized in Great Britain? <laughs> I don't know whether cannabis, uh, cannabis is licensed. I'm glad that's all you're thinking about. How can the reporter not know ah, if no. cannabis is legalized in Britain? That's outrageous. That she doesn't know that. However, I'd probably want to smoke after uh, leaving Ukraine. You just done? Or you're not talking about oh, some shit? Kicked Sorry. Over his stuff. Ah, Mother Hubbard. How far having sight your bob feet? Well, yeah. It's a blessing and a curse. Uh, sticking with Ukraine and the intersection with artificial intelligence. Don't know if you saw the report from Reuters this week. Um, the Reuters exclusive. That you? Reuters. 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 You know the news agency. Reuters. The world's most trusted news sources. The one at the end of the road. Who's that? That news agents. Reuters. <laughs> I think this is the the Dutch one. Are they Dutch? Reuters. I think they're Dutch. Reuters. <coughs> Pass. What's the other one? AP. Associated Press. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have some good photography. Fox. I don't know that one. Right, go okay, on. Reuters exclusive. <laughs> Ukraine has started using Clearview AI's facial recognition oh. software during the war. Uh, Ukraine's Defense Ministry on Saturday night began using Clearview's AI facial recognition technology. The company's chief executive told, told Reuters. After the U.S. startup offered to uncover Russian, Russian assailants, combat misinformation, and identify the dead, Ukraine is receiving free access to Clearview AI's powerful search engine for faces, letting authorities potentially vet people of interest at checkpoints. Among other uses, added Lee Woloski, an advisor to Clearview and former diplomat under U.S. President Barack Obama, Obama, Barack Banana, <laughs> and Joe Biden. Uh, the plan started forming after Russia invaded Ukraine and Clearview executive Honton Tat, that's his real name, sent a letter to Kiev offering assistance, according to a copy seen by Reuters. Clearview said it had not offered the technology to Russia, which calls its actions in Ukraine a special operation. Ukraine's Ministry of Defence did not reply to requests for comment, Previously, a spokesman for Ukraine's Ministry of Digital Transformation said it was considering offers from US-based artificial intelligence companies like Clearview. Many Western businesses have pledged to help Ukraine, providing internet hardware, cybersecurity tools and other support. The Clearview founder said his startup had more than 2 billion images from the Russian social media service Vcontact at its disposal out of a database of over 10 billion photos in total. That database can help Ukraine identify the dead more easily than trying to match fingerprints and worse, even if there is facial damage, Tontat wrote. Research for the US Department of Energy found decomposition reduced the technology's effectiveness, while a paper from a 2021 conference showed promising results. Tontat's letter also said Clearview's technology could be used to reunite refugees separated from their families, identify Russian operatives, 
and helped the government debunk false social media posts related to the war. Sounds good. It does sound good, doesn't it? The exact purpose for which Ukraine's defence ministry, ministry is using the technology is unclear. Tom Tat said, other parts of Ukraine's government are expected to deploy Clearview in the coming days. At least one critic says facial recognition could misidentify people at checkpoints and in battle. Can you imagine going to a, a checkpoint, Ben, and uh, the man holding the screen says, oh, Russian. See, that might be Oh, uh, was, no, uh... no, no, so bang. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I like to wear the safety. Spy! <laughs> Computer <laughs> says <enemies>. Spy! <laughs> If I'm wearing the face of uh, <laughs> of my enemy <laughs> in battle, I don't know. I don't think. Do you um, think due process is taken account for in a war zone in an active hot war? No. I have no idea. No, is the answer. No, I don't know. So you just get shot and you'll you'll be dead. You won't be able well, to I say won't. that's not me. <laughs> that was a deep fake. I've never even been to Ukraine. No, you're dead. Because computer said you're a Russian spy. But, well, someone else can worry about that. Uh, Wear a different hat. Yeah, at least one critic says facial recognition could misidentify people at checkpoints. That's an obvious one. And in battle, a mismatch could lead to civilian deaths, obviously, like Ben. (laughs) Just like unfair arrests have arisen from police use. So uh, the UK government has sued Clearview. Right. For um, misusing data. Really? Yeah, it sound like something a government would do. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, believe it or not, yeah, it's, it's we got Ill- our own system in the world. Um, it's illegal. Clearview has been deemed illegal to use in the UK, mm. but it's fine in an active war zone. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going. Oh, this is in quotes. This is from uh, Albert Kahn, executive director of the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. We're going to see well-intentioned technology backfiring and harming the very people it's supposed to help. Uh, Tom Tatt said Clearview should never be wielded as the sole source of identification and that he would not want the technology to be used in violation of the Geneva Conventions. Oppenheimer. Which which created legal standards for humanitarian treatment during war. Like other users, those in Ukraine are receiving training and have to input a case number and a reason for search before queries. But we've already seen people who actually have this on their devices, on their phones. Right. This search technology. Can you get it? Uh, you can't get it, but not well. I would say you can't get it yet. Okay. Obviously, you will be able to. Yeah. You ought to buy it. You'll be able to buy it. Why not? Um, Clearview, which primarily sells to U.S. law enforcement is fighting lawsuits in the United States, accusing it of violating privacy rights by taking images from the web. Clearview contends its data gathering is similar to how Google search works. Yeah, so benign. Completely benign <laughs> Google, isn't it? Still, several countries, including the United Kingdom and Australia, have deemed its practices illegal. Uh, Khan described ident- identifying the deceased as probably the least dangerous way to deploy the technology in a war. But he said that once you introduce these systems and the associated databases mm. to a war zone, you have no control over how it will be used and misused. So imagine um, some creep um, could take a photo of your wife or your daughter, mm-hmm. run it through Clearview. Oh, there's a post. That's the football team she plays for. Mm. All right, when's the next match? All right, I'll go along to that. 
That's more scary than me dying in a war zone. Oh, where's, oh I found a LinkedIn. That's her employer. Right. Creeps will do this sort of thing. I know, we do. This is why it's dangerous. <laughs> it's not a joke. Well, you need oversight, you need regulation for these things. Yeah, I otherwise think, they will be abused. <clears throat> the other thing as well is uh, it'd be quite interesting how it plays out in Ukraine as kind of a test bed for, for the technology and whether it uh, th- there's enough foresight to see what you know. Or, or I suppose I don't know balance, I guess, to see what's what's the bad sides of it as well. It's like the, these data sites, uh, dating sites like uh, Tinder and stuff. Just grab the, grab the photo off Tinder. Mm. Run it through, you find out anything you want because people are so soft at giving up all their data, mm-hmm. putting it online. Mm-hmm. But people aren't going to realise until it's too late that you, that you, how valuable your data. Mark alluded to it early in the conversation how how valuable your data is, and uh, you need to guard it really. Mm. Well, people will find out the hard way. <laughs> it's you know stuff shit. Isn't it? Find out the hard way or be proactive and vigilant about it. The choice is yours. I'm not telling you what to do. Um, similar, similar stream. Really, continue on on AI. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, an artificial intelligence program suggested forty thousand new possible chemical weapons in just six hours. Yeah, this is quite scary, isn't it? Yeah, it took less than six hours for drug developing AI to invent forty thousand potential lethal molecules. Uh, researchers put AI normally used to search for helpful drugs into a kind of bad actor mode to show how easily it could be abused at a biological arms control conference. Uh, all the researchers had to do was tweak their methodology to seek out, rather than weed out, toxicity. Yeah, the AI came up with tens of thousands of new substances, some of which are similar to VX, the most potent nerve agent ever deployed. Shaken, they published their findings. <laughs> <laughs> They published their findings this month in the journal it's in what, Nature Machine Intelligence. Yeah, so if you had a, if you hey, some man. clues what to do. If you've had a positive result, get it out there, publish it. It'd be something to put on your, something on your curriculum vitae, yeah. on your LinkedIn profile, on your research gate net, whatever it's called. Yeah, it's great. I mean, who comes up with that idea? Like, we have this software and um, we're trying to filter out drugs for toxicity. So we can find the safest things we can use. Oh, what happens if we just flip that round and just look for the most toxic substances we can think of? Yeah, and it just invented them, invented them for them, things people would never have thought of. Mm-hmm. Great idea. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Yes. Yeah. Ethics, <laughs> missing ethics. I think in the world at the moment. Yeah, that's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? Is how that got through an ethics committee. I don't think they asked. Well, uh, presumably, true. it depends. Who, well, that's down to funding, isn't it? Doesn't it have to clear the ethics committee to well, get it funded? Well, depends. Maybe they funded it themselves. I suppose it depends on whether it was a, if it was a private company. Then it's it could just not be the same software use. You wouldn't have had to have any funding. I guess. Mm-hmm. I think they just use their software normally. They just change one field. Yeah. They just change something. Or even, they might not have even done that. They might have just logged what was being filtered out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. They actually created new things. So I think they actively ah, searched right, for them. Sweet, yeah. Right. Yeah. Ah, well. I don't know. Anyway. 
you want to move on to uh, P&L? Yeah, man. P&L. They were sacked suddenly and unexpectedly, but surprise quickly turns to anger at Port of Dover. Everyone here worked at sea for P&O, from cooks to cleaners to ship's captains. They're all now unemployed. Devastated. I loved the job. It was, uh, it was my dream job. Um, career at sea. That's, you know, yeah, it was shocking as well because didn't see it coming. P&O planned this carefully. Early this morning, ferry services were simultaneously suspended at several ports, including Cairn Ryan, Liverpool, Hull and... I think it's just Leicester. <laughs> yeah, there's three black cars, there's security. P&O's staff had no idea what was happening. They soon found out. I am sorry to inform you that this means your employment is terminated with immediate effect on the grounds of redundancy. I'm the son of the Pope. <laughs> your final day of employment is today. Piano. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. No ferries says it made a loss of £100 million last year and that the company's not a viable business in its current form. I mean... How much of their business is tourism? Because, I mean, that must have dropped yeah. off a cliff last year, must not yeah, it? Would you say it would probably be a big chunk, wouldn't you? I don't know. Is it all shipping or it could be a lot of tourism? There'd be a lot of, you would probably be a lot of freight, wouldn't there? Um, like, you know, shipping containers on the back of lorries, you would imagine, that kind of thing. Yeah, because the lorries were queuing up, you know, when they did this thing the other yeah. morning. Apparently the lorries were queuing up down the M1, was it, the M4? Is it a classic high, uh, firing... Rehire. Apparently. P&O had a workforce of 3,000 first thing this morning, but it's laid off 800 people, a decision it described as very difficult but necessary. Those who are leaving are being offered enhanced compensation, thought to be an extra 12 weeks' pay. That is an absolutely outrageous act by an outrageous company owned by uh, oil billionaires from the Far East uh, are just determined to drive down terms and conditions and pay to the very bottom uh, of the legal ladder, and that's exactly what they're trying to do today. In Dover, queues began to form as hauliers arrived, it's only to find trucks. out that P&O wasn't sailing. Tourist traffic still hasn't recovered to pre-pandemic levels, but up to 8,000 lorries a day cross the channel here. It's a vital trade route, and the government is furious. These are hard-working dedicated staff who have given years in service to P&O. And I'm trying to pretend that I give a flying fuck. And, uh, well, it's a lot of people suddenly on benefits, isn't it, potentially? And so, UBI. I oh, no, they're just going to get their, their old jobs back on, on period terms. Yeah. I thought they Fire were employing um, uh, contractors. Yeah, agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agency yeah they'll, That's, they've yeah. been offered uh, 20 grand. So you get a 20 grand, from what I've read... The people who some of the people who were sacked were offered uh, a twenty grand sign-on bonus on self-employed terms, right? Uh, payable after one twelve months employment. Okay. So presumably you get to eleven months and then they sack you again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you don't get your bonus because you've no employment rights. Yeah. The way they have been treated today is wholly unacceptable. Tonight at Dover, three ferries sit at anchor and it's not clear when they'll sail again. Europe's busiest port has lost a third of its capacity. You seem to be coordinated because ferries stopped in, in four different places, I think. It would have been very well thought through. It was planned, yeah. Of course it was, yeah.
Mm. Is that all we've got to say about that? And that's all I've got to say about that. That's the end of that chapter. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's all part of this, uh, what's it called? New World Order? Great Restart? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've not read it yet. I've been meaning to uh, get a copy of The Great Reset. I don't want to buy it new, though. I want a used copy of it. Oh, no, don't be environmentally friendly. Get one that have the tree chopped down. No, I don't want to give any money to him. Yeah, I'd no. rather just uh, buy one for 50p. Maybe in the library. That'll be one in St. Catherine's Hospice. I've looked. I've been on the lookout. Right, okay. And, you know, I can get I can get books about the Titanic that never sank, <laughs> but not the oh. Great Reset. <laughs> not the real conspiracies. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, right. We never, uh, we got a really nice uh, comment on BitChute. Did we? In the week, I meant to play it in the housekeeping because you can leave comments and yeah. like, like, subscribe, comment. Was hit the bell? Was it? Smash the bell. Dude likes to smash back the mid strength beats. <laughs> bro. <laughs> bro. Bro, bro can really not back the mid strength beers. No, no, it was, it was, no, it's a nice one. You know. Oh, it's off after last week's <laughs> oh, fucking hell! This thing. from oh. from Truth Ninja seven seven seven. There is no such thing as a good Freemason. All Freemasons and Jesuits on this soil should be rounded up to be DNA, DNA tested for determination of any hierarchical bloodline ties to the Black Nobility bloodlines or any enemies to this soil. If any or found. He or she should be executed immediately, as well as exterminated. How do you do that? If over the third degree, how do you how do you execute and exterminate? No, <clears throat> what he's saying is you've got to get those people, and then you've got to exterminate anybody over as well as over the third degree anyway. Okay. <clears throat> this frigging death cult. <laughs> Because you're not allowed to say that word anymore. It is a slur. It's a slur for homosexuals, beginning with F. We all know what it is. A a, a bundle of wood. This uh, frigging death cult, whose great work is slavery and genocide, needs to get off the soil now. Ignorance of your cult will be no excuse when that time comes. You Freemason sodomites have always been enemies on the soil. What's he got with the soil? He's obsessed with soil, isn't he? I don't know. Is, it, is this from Al Tishmarsh? I'm fucking terrified if this <laughs> is the truth, win. though. You monkey blood maggots that get let into the lodge only make the outer portico to protect the inner evil. I have your books. I know what you friggers worship. With that in mind, I'd just like to say I'm going to visit the uh, Freemasons Hall in Preston next yeah. Wednesday. On the thing. You're going to learn the, the special lodge, handshake. The yeah. Someone says, if you're on the level, what are you going to say? I'll probably just wet myself. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it an open day, isn't it? Yeah. Who sent us a link? I think it was our friend, good friend of the show, Aaron. Oh, yes, good friend of the show, Aaron, yeah. I didn't Free tickets. Why didn't I get it? It was in the group. What group? Oh, that group. group you're not in. <laughs> oh, what was the it? The normal on WhatsApp? one. Yeah, yeah. The blue pill group. Oh, yeah. Unless it was today. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it was today, I didn't see it. The unpill group. <laughs> oh, fine. No, it wasn't today, it was a few days ago. Oh, I'm all right. Tickets are free. That's why they're not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a racket. Oh, what no, day wait. of the week is it on? Wednesday. Show me the hump court. Day. What? Hump day? Hump day. <laughs> yeah, not I'm giving up hump you. day to visit Masonic Lodge. We all know what goes on in there anyway. Yeah, according hump to Truth Ninja. Sodomy. Sodomy. <laughs> soil worship. <laughs> yeah, they're obsessed with soil and uh, the Jesuits and stuff. I mean, <laughs> why was he so angry? I don't know. Keep up, are you? Are um, like Freemasons <laughs> not liked on the internet then? Well, I alluded to this last week with Bill. That this is a this is a taboo subject. What? Freemasonry. Is it? Yes. Nah, it's just Turbo Scouts for grown-ups. <laughs> well, as they say, there are levels. It's yeah. Turbo Scouts for grown-ups if that's how far you want to take it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's fine. I don't know because I'm not in there. What's this other guy then? What was that other uh, thing that Dr. David Harrison mentioned? There wasn't Freemasonry. <laughs> it was something else. Uh, it was like food. Rosicrucians, no. No. Food? Uh, not linguine. Great British Bake Off. Uh, what's the white pasta you have? <laughs> white pasta sauce. Spaghetti? Carbonara. No. Carbonari. <laughs> Carbonari. The Carbonaris. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's a carbon. Truth Ninja is a Carbonari. Know, yeah. yeah. And it's like and a little. It's the Freemasons. Got it now. I think you nailed it. Yeah. Cool. Are we close to wrapping up? I'm desperate for a piss. Oh, go, go. No, Shall I go? Close. no one got two know, more stories to go. Yeah. No one will know. What time is it? Oh, gosh. We're getting there. Yeah, no, that's not bad. Oh, We're not doing too bad, actually. Uh, Matt, you, you sent this uh, story through to the Discord. Archaeologist. Mot- I- yeah. Excuse me. Mot- yeah. What from. Uh... Is that the island? Read it. Oh, no, I thought you were talking about the girl band. No. Look at the... Just read the story. What, what was the girl band from the noughties? We had three Sugar members. Babes. Yeah. She's in that, isn't she? Mutya. Mutya, but the island's called Mutya, isn't it? Or Mutya. Archaeologists conducted a study on the Phoenician island of Mutya. There you go. Mutya. Located off the coast of Sicily, I've identified an artificial lake. Yeah. It was a sacred pool. The Baal. Aligned with the stars. I'll see a photo. Got a photo. Just now... <clears throat> this was this was because Google's been tracking me, and this is how Google is good for you. <laughs> because um, I was watching something on the iPlayer about Sicily, and the island of Mutia is off the coast of Sicily. That's in the southwest corner. So, um, and so yeah, so the Phoenicians went there, built this temple, but there's a natural well, a spring that feeds it basically. So it was like a constant pool. <laughs> Uh, of water there. Um, <coughs> are you okay? <laughs> it's very. Uh, it was very interesting. And then basically, he also talks about how the Car- <coughs> Carthaginians came through and destroyed the temple and built a square well rather than a round well. They had square wells apparently. <coughs> so the one that the archaeologists have found is. Square. Uh, no, th- th- there's a pool, isn't there? And th- th- it's pretty it's long and square. Yeah. So is that the Carthaginian one rather no, than the no, Phoenician no. one? This is the Phoenician one, I think. Oh. Um. You said the, the Carthaginians came in and, and no. Put a so there was a, there was a well that they said that was used for rituals. <laughs> so they said the water they thought the water was sacred. Right. Um, but they said, oh no, this is the this is the Phoenician well because it's round. And then the, when the Carthaginians came through and destroyed the temple and rebuilt it, they built their own well 
and it was square. Right. All right. So, like to the to the uh, east, there is the spring of the temple. Mm. All right, and <gasps> that might be a, that. A temple of Baal. Yeah. And uh, we've got a s- stellas being found. Sanctuary of the Holy Waters, mm. another temple to the northwest. It's an interesting complex, and yeah. it is aligned. Can mm. you imagine? I know. <laughs> Just take yourself back to 500 BC and being on the side of that. How big is that? Is that football field shaped? Mm. I can't see the size. There's a scale. Here's the scale. What's that? What's the unit? Is that meters? Don't know, don't That's meters. All oh, right, okay. So, so I would say it's about forty meters wide. Yeah, and about seventy so seventy meters long. Mm. Is that equivalent to a football pitch? How many half giraffes is it? <laughs> Several. It might be. Um, How wide is a football pitch? I've no idea. How high? <laughs> how wide? Oh. um... It's measured in yards, isn't it? But I don't know how many. Same, same diff, pretty much. Yards and meters, there's not much in it. I don't, I don't know. don't know how big a football pitch is. They're in, there's the, the, parameters, isn't it, for a football pitch anyway? Isn't it? It can be a certain, it can be as bigger and smaller. Well, let's just assume it's about a football pitch then. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we've got a football pitch. Why is this anyway? Central Park? <laughs> it's uh, a holy pool. Yeah. All right. The green is actually water. Oh, is it? Mm. That's confusing. From about, well, they said... Uh, What's the blue then on the outside? That's the sea. Something else. What, this bit here? Yeah. Yeah, it's off the coast of... This is off the coast of Sicily. Oh. So this is the Mediterranean here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have this football-sized holy pool. <laughs> How square is it? It's pretty square. Pretty square, isn't Bob it? Bob on, isn't it? So can you imagine being... Here at ground level, looking over this football field shaped pool of natural water with a flaming statue of ball in the middle. Be cool, wouldn't it? What do you think got rolled out in the boats to here? Fuel. Children. Well, this is the other thing. So they say. Is this what's going to happen when Claire Schwab gets his. <laughs> it's what did happen. So, got- so it's up to you whether it happens again. You know what they say, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Right. So it's up to you. Um, so they, find, they keep finding pots with the burnt remains of children in, in this complex as well. Shit. They're well known for it. The, the Carthaginians um, and the Phoenicians for child sacrifice. Same in Southern America. Mm. Maybe there was a pandemic and they had to get rid of the, the bodies and it hit the young. No. Interesting okay. hypo- hypothesis, but no. Oh, no, <laughs> but it was no. normal operating procedure, unfortunately. Yeah, it was normal, yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah, so they, basically they've been excavating it for like 30, 40 years, the, the site. But they've only just found this thing, this pool. Well, um, possibly. I thought it wasn't really explaining the thing that I watched. The gist I got that this was quite a development. Right, okay. Quite a recent development. Well, they said, yeah, I mean, the thing that I watched was from about five years ago and it was sort of just ended the springs. Could just read the uh, details. Mm-hmm. Uh, archaeologists excavating the two and a half thousand year old artificial basin, once identified as a military harbour mm-hmm. <laughs> called, 
called Akothon during the 1920s. It's actually one of the largest sacred pools in the Mediterranean. Uh, the pool was added around 550 BC when the city was rebuilt after an attack by Carthage as a centerpiece of a massive religious sanctuary, sanctuary aligned with the stars. Professor Nigro from Sapienza University di Roma said, For a century it was thought much as Cothon was a harbour, but new excavations have drastically changed its interpretation. It oh. was a sacred pool at the centre of a huge religious compound. Previous researchers found a temple of Baal on the edge of Motyas Cothon rather than the expected harbour buildings. This unexpected discovery prompted the reinvestigation of Cothon starting in 2010. So they thought it was a harbour and then they identified a temple to Baal right on the edge of it and thought, whoa, we don't generally have temples on the edges of harbours, mm. do we? No. I don't think there's any temples in Ostia, was there? No. Harbour of Rome? No. no. So, maybe we need to dig into this. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> a fucking geek. During the next ten years, Professor Nigro and the team drained and excavated the basin, which is longer and wider than an Olympic swimming pool. So, several half giraffes, I would say. Mm. Oh, yes. Uh, this revealed it could not have served as a harbour as it was not connected to the sea. Instead, it was fed by natural springs. Uh, crucially, the team also found additional temples flanking the Cothon, along with stelae, altars, votive offerings, and a pedestal in the centre of the lake that once held a statue of Baal. That's yeah. the amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, together, these indicate this was not a harbour, but a sacred pool at the centre of one of the largest cultic complexes of the pre-classical Mediterranean. Mm. Uh, mapping this site revealed it was aligned with the stars... Natch, because everything is aligned with the stars. (laughs) This is part of the sacred geometry. Mm -hmm. This is why things aren't random. This is why we lay our foundation stones in certain places. Uh, The nearby temple of Baal is aligned with the rise of Orion at the winter solstice, while Stelae and other features were aligned with other astronomical events, said Professor Nigro. Uh, this points to deep knowledge of the sky reached by ancient civilizations. Uh, additionally, the flat surface of the pool may have been used to track the celestial mm. movements. That's a great thing oh, about water, good. isn't it? Mirror. It's a giant spirit level. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, notably, many of these stem from other ancient cult- culturism, suggesting Motya remained an open and accepting cultural melting pot. Historical records also attest to an open attitude, indicating it caused animosity with Carthage that contributed to Motya's eventual downfall. Uh, the basin has since been refilled and a replica of the Statue of Baal placed back on its plinth. Nice. I'm going to check it out. I presume, well, obviously they haven't filled it with water. You'll have to imagine that. When did they start sacrificing children there again? Good question. Good question. Shall we... Uh, Maybe drop an email to World Economic Forum and find out. Maybe. Why did they sacrifice children? Because it's, the, it's the greatest sacrifice, isn't it? Right. Oh, yeah. You're familiar Abraham. with uh, Abraham and Isaac? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't go through there, though, did he? Yes. Abraham. He, he was going to go. You say he didn't go through with it like he stopped at the last minute. 
No, God, God commanded him to stop. Uh, okay. The point was he was going to do it. He was going to kill his firstborn son at Is the he... age of whatever he was, 90, <laughs> because Sarah was apparently barren until he made the covenant, and then God said, you're going to have, <laughs> your children are going to take over the world. And he's like, <laughs> I'm like a fucking 100 years old. <laughs> I'm not going to have any kids, and he was my wife. And then uh, Isaac showed up. But yeah, that, that's the whole point, is that they went up together for the uh, to set, and, and Isaac's like, where's the lamb, Dad? Where's, where's the lamb? <laughs> Shit. And it was like, yeah, it'll be there when we get there. What a twist. Yeah, but it was only, it was a test. That's the whole point of the story. It was, are you willing to go through with it? But yeah. then these guys are like, balls yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah. Shit. We want more. It's not, like uncommon child sacrifice. Yeah. Uh we could do with, we could do with Steve from Spartan History podcast. Humans are fucked. <sighs> okay. Well everyone's rubbing their eyes and yawning, so sorry. We'll scrap that one. It's uh, been a good show. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Good. I enjoyed talking to Mark. Glad you did. Did you not? I did. You know, you know the old adage, trying to come to a club where people we on each other. I want to go to a pub before it's closed down. They've only just opened. <laughs> I know. They shut for, two, for about 18 months, didn't they? There's um, quite a few new places opened in Preston. They recently. might do it again, Ben. You might. You might show them again. Well, I'll have to get Make the most of them. Yeah. Hey, we are doing that. I agree. Well, we're going, going out once. once. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We're going out, like, routinely after that. I'm just going to take it easy. <laughs> I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to drink much. You get a new, uh, 9 o'clock train. Easy now, fuzzy little man, Peach. <laughs> Creamy. Are you, uh, are you getting the train? No, I'm going to drive. I'm drive. I, th- I thought about driving. I'll fix the squeal. Snake Pass is closer, isn't it? So it's going to be boring. It's not motorway. A long, boring drive on the motorway. They're the best. Oh, you can drive me then. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to drive. It's a, it's a small car. I'm going to borrow a car. Are you, gonna, are you not going in the van? Now you've changed the oil. <laughs> I'll have to change it again when I get back. <laughs> I'm not used to doing like 200 miles. Look <laughs> at that. No. A man and a woman. <laughs> right, should we go then? Anything, any final thoughts? Do you want to say anything before we go or what? Uh, praise Javelin. Uh, all hail Discordia. Um, Gislaine didn't Maxwell herself. <laughs> Can I borrow a cup of sugar? <laughs> what advert was that from? Maxwell House? Yeah, maybe. Jesus Christ. Excuse me, I, I'm new next door. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? Is that, wasn't that Anthony Head from uh, Buffy in that those adverts? <laughs> Anthony Head. Yeah. Is that what, was, is that what he's called, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I've just moved in next door. I've got to play with my... Oh, I've just got to put my glasses on, on my nose here. Can I Can I trouble you for a cup of fucking in your arm? Please? <laughs> oh, yes. And it is fucking gush, don't they? Something about Anthony Head in the mid-90s just gushing all over the floor from Ooh. the Poonanis. Please stop talking. Are you not entertained? <laughs> I love you. It's trying to be funny. Can't be depressing all the time, can we? 
No. no. Oh, did I upset? Did I? Uh, did I trick you there with my talk of gushing pussies? No. <laughs> you look upset. No, I'm all right. I'm he just doesn't know what one is. Very tired. Epic job. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've got to go. The music's gonna kill. Go out. Yeah. See you next week, you fuckers. Bye. Go to Discord. Bye. We're just trying to keep people safe. It also holds political polluters accountable for the most ambitious environmental justice agenda ever. Because I'm literally a communist. Best of luck with it all going forward. And yeah, uh, let's, thanks, hook, guys. let's hook up, up again before too long. Mm. Yeah, well, let's catch up again before the end of the year. And twenty thirty. Let's let's try before the end of the year if I'm still around. Oh, welcome to the Irish Inquisition podcast. This is twenty thirty. The algorithm has deemed that it's fit for us to start recording. Yes, end of the year would be great, right? <laughs> end of the year. Before the end of the year. <laughs> Cheers, lad. All right, right. Cheers. take care. Bye. Sweet. Pleasure. Bye. Pleasure. Bye. Cheers. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs>